Welcome to Craft Conversations, where I craft conversation and I talk a little bit about craft beer. I am your host, Brian Dales. And on this week's uh, Friday episode, we had Dale Lippin from the Fistful of Cash uh, podcast out there on Instagram. You can follow him. Check him out. He's on uh, iTunes, number one MMA uh, sports betting podcast on iTunes, as a matter of fact, is what I found out. So we talked about podcasting, uh, me maybe running for mayor. We talked about MMA fighting and so much more. Please have a listen and enjoy this episode. All right. Got to be running around trying to get things ready, man. I'm like sweating over here. Oh, you're good. No rush. All right. So I think uh, I think everything's good, man. We got the logo going on. I appreciate that. That's a nice little plug. Some, Thanks. Some headphones on. They should be on. Should be working. You don't have left, right specific? Or just... No, they are. The... Um, the one with the red is the right side. Gotcha. Yeah. Doesn't really matter for this thing, but you should be able to hear something through oh. there. Oh yeah, we're good. All right. We're good. We're good. We're good. Move that just a little bit. Boom. Yeah. Move that thing wherever you want it. You know how it is. Yep. You know about a, a fist from your from your mouth or whatever. Yep. I do a and, good job of projecting anyway, so we'll be all right. Yeah, I figured you you had a good voice for it, so. Wasn't going to be a big deal. So we're rolling, Dale. We finally did it. We got the camera going. Appreciate Audacity you. is running. Last night I had a problem with Audacity. I don't know if you listened to my my post that I made last night. I did a video. I saw you put an Instagram post up that said yeah. the botched episode. Right. I saw it this morning uh, in my Instagram peruse while I was brushing my teeth. And then I was like, oh, I'll have to check it out later. And then just the day got away from me. Yeah, I was trying to do, you know, a post for my my Tuesday because I try and re- release something every Tuesday and Friday. And uh, I got uh, up here and I was all excited and I had some notes and I was going to do a show. I had your, your logo up, you know, kind of promoting this thing that we're doing today. And um, I started my audacity, my recording, you know, through the mics and stuff, through the board. I started the camera, had it up on the end of the table here. And I got about 12 minutes in, and I went. I, w- I had done some stuff with a web browser on the uh, on the uh, uh, Chrome or whatever, and I went back to look at my Audacity and see how much time had gone by so far. Right. And it was stopped at like 56 seconds. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? I've been there. What happened? Yeah. Somehow I I uh, paused my audio, so all I had was the camera stuff going on. So I was hoping that. My voice had at least projected to the camera enough to where I could post something where you could hear it. You right. know? Um, and I was just going to continue. I was just going to hit uh, record and just start recording the audio again. And I said, you know what? It's after midnight. Screw it. I'm just going to scrap it. So right. I did like a 12-minute episode last night. I've been there. Just from the camera. I've been yeah. there. I've, I've actually recorded. I've gone through most of a fight card before. Right. Doing picks and everything and realized that I have my microphone muted because I have a Yeti mic. So you got to turn it on from the bottom. Right. I've done the same thing. Here so before, yeah. I, I literally spoke and I didn't realize that, you know, the I guess you would say that the, the pitch that Audacity was picking up was from the internal mic, not from my Yeti mic. Yeah. So I recorded this entire thing and then I go to listen to it and edit it before I put it out. And it sounds like somebody talking in a tin can. I'm like, right. Damn. So you're just recording from your laptop, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, which is sitting on my desk. So the sounds going down, reverbing off the desk into the mic. It's just, yeah. it's a nightmare. But I I've done an episode like that before, though. I, I said, you know what? Let me take off all these fancy mics and all this stuff that I got. And let's just record through my Surface Pro, 
and it actually wasn't a bad bad deal. I I didn't think it was. Uh, the first three episodes of our show ever are using the voice memo app on the iPhone while I was sitting in my work truck. Right. Like just I I, did, I downloaded. I was using a different software at the time and. It allowed me to just record right to the software, and it would publish it. So I was right. just like, oh. so like Stitcher or something, or yeah, it was a uh, Anchor. Okay, Anchor. I've heard yeah, of that. so Anchor's got like an in, like it just basically has an app that you can just download, and then you set everything up, and then just hit record, and it will publish it for you and everything. And it's yeah. it's nice if you're not going to put any effort into the production value of it, but. Once I listened to like three of them, I was like, I can't do it like this anymore. Right. I got to do something better. So, yeah, I upgraded. I didn't upgrade like this, but I upgraded. Well, I mean, this didn't really upgrade. You know, we, we got lucky um, when we first started. We got a, a bunch of uh, musician friends, and they donated a lot of this stuff to us. Now, I've eventually bought this mic, and I bought right. that mic, and I've given stuff back that was donated to us. But this board was donated, all the, all the power supplies, all the cabling, everything. Um, so we got lucky, man. We had some friends that, that really were into this thing and supported it and gave us stuff. Right. So, um, it's fantastic. So I think it's worth noting how we got here, um, for the, for the uninitiated. So I had that down in my notes. Okay. So the wide, wide awake brewing company, the opening night. Yeah. Okay. So a guy I work with, I don't, I'm not even normally a go out and drink beer kind of dude, but the wife tells me at the time, like, you got you to socialize a little bit more, go out or whatever. And Mark, the guy I work with, was, you know, just so happened to hit me up that night. And he said, hey, I'm at this brewery. Why don't you stop by? It's right by your house. When it's right down the street from the house, I have less of an excuse to not come out. So sure. I was like, all right, I'll come out. And you were you were there because I guess you had just did something with them and you were drinking and right. And, yeah. I, re- yeah. I recorded it, an episode with them the, the weekend prior to their grand opening. Right. Yeah. To right. kind of help promote them. So, so by default me getting there and then somehow the conversation came up podcast, podcast, and then we, we overheard each other talking and then, yeah. uh, it was like, ah, eh, we'll just set something in the future, maybe something like that. But then we've been beating around the bush with this thing for a while now. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually sitting at the end of the bar. I had my headphone out. I was listening to a podcast, as a matter of fact, uh, just sitting there drinking a couple beers. And um, I overheard you guys talking about podcasts for some reason. And um, it piqued my interest. I pulled the headphone out and, yeah, hey, what are you guys talking about? So you run a podcast, blah, blah, blah. And that's how things kind of come together. And then, even then, the guy that was sitting there next to me, I don't know his name, uh, but he even knew my brother, my older brother. He knew a bunch of the F3 guys. I guess he was in the F3 yeah. you know, workout group over there. So right. just kind of funny how it's a, such a small world over here in Somerville, Berkeley County, whatever. It is because I, you know, I, I come from a bigger area, but also like a small town as well. So like the greater Pittsburgh area, but then the town that I like was, you know, that I grew up in, Butler, which is right outside of Pittsburgh, like 30 minutes or so. It's not unlike Somerville in the sense that you can't really go anywhere and run into somebody that through like the seven degrees of separation, Kevin Bacon style, you can't find somebody else in common that, you know, right. And down here more than anything else, at least that I've found like on a dude, like on a guy to guy level, the F3, everybody and their friggin' brother does F3 or knows somebody that does F3 or is 
attended it at one point in time. Yeah, like, it's pretty big in Somerville. I went with Mark a couple times. I had to write that down, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I've got shoddy shoulders. We that, that I was that was a, a couple times, and then I was like, nah, we're 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 good with this. I gotta find something else to do because those guys, at least the ones that we went to, you know, hats off to those guys. They're out there getting it in um, each and every time they're out there, and I. You know, I applaud anybody that's doing their best to make the best out of the, themselves. Right. But and, and early in the morning, at, by yeah, the way. Well, yeah, early, <laughs> which is not my thing. Right, but early as shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's four thirty, five thirty in the morning. Right. I got three kids. I'm not. I'm not. You know. But that's the, the F three guys would say. Well, that's an excuse, and we, you know, we don't. Yeah. It's a place for everybody to go. I'm not trying to bash what they do, uh, but you know, no excuses are allowed there. So you, you better you better be ready to to better yourself. And I, I can admire the uh, the accountability that they have for people there. But anyway, long story short, that's how you and I got plugged in. Yep. Um, opposite, you know, sort of opposite ends of the spectrum as far as what we, uh, content wise, uh, but we're yeah, there. totally different. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's good to know that there is a community of people out there. You know, as far as podcasting goes in the in the Somerville area. I mean, I'm sure outside of uh, you know, myself and, and you and, and another one that we mutually know, there's probably a couple more out here, out here somewhere. Cause I, I, you know, we talked about, uh, video being the wave of the future as far as podcasting goes, but I think podcasting in general is it, it we're already in, we're living in the now or in the future. Oh, us. big time. Yeah. It's Cause this it's, is it. Yeah. This is what I, I think be. within the last two years, probably it's, it's gained the growth, gained the greatest, uh, Notoriety, but um, yeah, it's been going on. I mean, if you look back at Joe Rogan, you look back at um, what's that guy's name, Adam Carolla. You know, yeah. a couple of the pioneers of the game, right. nine years ago, whatever it was. Right. But but now, yeah, this is the now of podcast. I mean, people are starting to realize that this is the best place to get your information. You know, when you look at all the fake news and all this other political stuff, right. and people that have agendas. The podcast guys don't really have agendas. I mean, they're just out there speaking the truth or what they think is their truth. Right. Um, and there's no bias, I don't think, to be honest. I, it, honestly, it, if there is a bias, you get to choose what it is because you're choosing the content that you're consuming. It's it, it, it's the beauty that, that is Netflix and stuff like that. I get to choose what I'm being subjected to where... If I watch the news, it's whatever Fox or CNN or MSNBC, what they are choosing to show me is what I am forced to consume. And that's, for the longest time, they could control the narrative like that. But if you trust the source in which you're receiving your information, you can sort of, whether it's good or bad, can control the narrative coming back your way. You know, it's like, um, you know, well, being in the military, you meet people from different countries. Their history books are way different than our history books. Yeah, but it's about narrative and what they what they say happens and what we say happened or the the lens in which it's projected. Hundred percent. Everybody's history is different. Right. So, I I'm in a you know, or we are in a unique spot as far as being part of the conversation, but also being able to partake in the content of the conversation that we can pick and choose what we what where we choose to get our information from because honestly. 90% of the stuff I see on the news doesn't affect me on a day-to-day basis or I can give a shit less about. Whereas I've got 20 different podcasts that I subscribe to, everything from political to science to political science and, and everything in between. But I can control what I'm consuming, right. which I love. 
But the one, yeah, for sure. And the one thing I think I like more about the podcast aspect of it is, like you said, if you listen to Fox News, you're just going to get a right-wing perspective. If you listen to CNN, you're just going to get a left-wing perspective, for the most part. But what I like about most podcasts, now there's some that, that lean just one direction or the other, but the majority of them are guys or gals that allow anybody to come on their show. They'll allow any type of political standing or, right. or, or religious background or whatever, and they'll have a discussion about that. And it's not going to lean one way or the other. The listener is going to be able to make up their decision on, uh, on which, which way they want to go with it. Right. Because it's, it's, we're just putting ideas out there and conversations out there. We're not leaning one way or the other, I think, for the most part. From the stuff that I listen to, anyways, I'm right. sure there's other stuff out there that is just going to drill one mindset into you. Right. Um, but I think for the most part, everybody is is non-biased and they listen to anybody. Right. Any idea is a good idea. Well, I think I th- what I, what I'm encouraged by, <clears throat> at least as far as the podcast realm goes, is it's given guys like Sam Harris or mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson, it yeah. it has given them a much larger audience and then they may have initially been um subjected to or would have had access to them um and given any other you know context obviously with jordan peterson and you know the the thing that happened with him it was evergreen university or whatever that was but then you know guys like rogan helped set the stage for guys like sam harris to get on that platform and if you listen to their podcast it's exactly like what you're talking about. They literally will pick a topic, bring in a noted, respected expert, scholar, whatever it may be, and just say, "Let's talk about this." And sometimes a counter expert. Exactly. Yeah. Which is which is even better. Right. Which is even better as long as it doesn't, you know, um, devolve into a argument more than anything else, which yeah. sometimes you see. But and I mean, you know, Rogan is my my main go to guy, and, and normally it's a pretty conservative conversation is right. pretty um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is but there's no arguments there's no fighting infighting going on it's yeah there's civil. some disagreements yeah it's civil that's right. probably the word I'm looking for so I love that man that you can just sit down and have a conversation and nobody gets angry nobody is judgmental nobody's screaming and yelling and and calling people names you're just you're listening you're actively listening right and um, sometimes you agree, sometimes you don't. Sometimes your mind has changed. Right. And that's the great thing is is new information can can make you change your mind. What 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 I've found, at least as far and not not to sound like old man wisdom here, because I'm clearly not. But what I've found is that you rarely change somebody's mind in an argument. Yeah. But you have the ability to change their thinking moving forward through civil conversation. Right. So screaming at each other, especially like you know, I grew up in a house where he who was loudest won the won the conversation sure which is fine because that's how our our family dynamic operated and that that's that's well but not everybody has those same rules of engagement where it's we're going to scream at each other and whoever's the loudest wins so if you have a, a, a situation where you have two individuals that because especially in the podcast format if they are close to each other like you and I aren't going to sit here regardless of what happens that we're not going to scream at each other because we're this far away from each other. Yeah. We're not going to do that. It would re- Something would really have to, to, to devolve very quickly in order for us to be in a situation where it was going to potentially turn into a screaming match. 
So you get guys like Rogan or you get guys like Sam Harris or Jordan Peterson or Mike McCarg and you get them and, and they, they have these conversations with people, even if they don't agree, everybody remains civil and tries to get their point across because you're not separated by TV monitors. There's not there's not a there's not a host right here and then everybody else is just a talking face on the screen. Right. You can't just scream and act wild with somebody, you know, when you're face to face. Most people don't anyway. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of, lot less internet tough guys or a, a lot less internet experts. Whenever you're sitting across, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't sit here and fake fake knowing a lot about thermodynamics when we're sitting right across because you're going to look at me and go, I can smell the bullshit on you. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. But if I'm on, if I'm over here and you're ten thousand miles away and we're talking through a median and I can have notes and everything else around me, I could fake it. But you can't do that. And that's what I love about podcasting as a whole and where media is heading is that it's forcing this honesty. Like you have got to be more authentic and more honest because in a conversation like this, and there may be people who see the video or listen to this episode and go, that guy's full of shit. What's he babbling about? But you're sitting here. I'm, I'm not entirely full of shit. So there's something to this. Yeah. There's something to this median. And judging by the way it's growing... Everybody, you know, not everybody and their brother, but a lot of people have podcasts now because it's a chance for people to get their voice out that may not have previously been there. Right. So, I yeah. love it, man. And like it's been said a bunch of times, I mean, it's long-form communication. So, instead of having a talk show where you get to sit, sit down for six minutes or ten minutes or something and, and try and prove a point, you can do that over an hour or right. over an hour and a half or two hours or, you know, Rogan's doing three, four-hour podcasts, but... Um, that long-term communication, uh, long format, is is the best place to get ideas across because you just can't do it in a short amount of time. Whether that's CNN, new, uh, you know, Fox News. I keep bringing up those two, but the big, those are the two big guys. Right, they're but, the heavy hitters. But even the late-night talk shows, you know, you, you can't get information across in six, seven, ten minutes, even twenty minutes. Right. And that's why uh, I created this show was let's sit down, let's open a beer, let's get loose a little right. bit, let's uh, expand some time and sit here and break things down um, and, and get some real truth out of it. You know, you can't do that in, in, a, in a short amount of time. Um, other podcasts that I know that I listen to here locally, I mean, you know, they're doing 20, 30-minute podcasts. I mean, the conversation is just getting started right. at 20 or 30 minutes. You right. can't really dig into who a person is or get a personality or get a feel for somebody's real uh, passions in 20 minutes, 30 right. minutes. I mean, you really got to stretch it out a little bit, I think. As, yeah. Again, it's all opinions, but... Yeah, so, and we, so with our show, we've seen, mis we've seen <clears throat> mixed success with our time format. And it's one of the things that I that sort of bugs me the most as far as hammering it out. Like your your show, your content is geared towards that longer form conversation. Sometimes when it comes to stuff that's like sports or news related, people want that quick. They want that overview that fast. Yeah, that's a fair point. But sometimes, like I said, like when we were talking about off air, is that there will be nothing going on. So you'll have to have these episodes where we fill stuff in. And like we did, I think for our Thanksgiving episode, because we took the week off for Thanksgiving, we did like a double episode. Right. It's the best numbers we've ever done. Yeah. And it was the whole thing was like two hours long, but it's the best numbers we ever did. And I track them throughout the week. It was the best numbers we've ever done before it hit the point where it was like, oh, it's because you went a week without doing it. It was like we released that double episode 
and it was you know almost two hours of my brother and I talking about sports and sports betting, and it was the best we'd ever done. And then we do another one that's half of you know half the length that does half the numbers, but then the next one is half the length and it does good enough. So it's like it honestly, at least in in my realm or my landscape uh, with sports, I think it it's a matter of what people are willing to consume in that chunk in that time. Um, whereas, you know, things like yours where you've got these conversations, like I, I can tell you for a fact, your episodes, like, cause I drive to Savannah a lot for work. I'll start one. Same like, same thing like somebody does with a Rogan. I'll start it until somebody calls me or something like that. I'll listen to it and then I'll take the call and then I digest it in another chunk until another call comes in or I get where I'm going right. or whatever. So I consume your episodes, but depending on the length of them, it's either one, two, three, five different chunks. Whereas if it's something that's news or, or sports related, you may only have somebody's attention for 15, 20 minutes tops. Like you got it. I want that information. Right. What do I need to do? So I like, like I said, I, and I know I've been, you know, weirdly singing your praises a lot about stuff, but I, I love your setup, man. I love, I love conversations and want to talk to people, but what we do isn't necessarily geared in that direction, but I love stuff like this. Right. So I really, like I appreciate it. it. I really like it. And you know, when I do solo stuff, obviously I try not to stretch it out too far. I just do 30, 45 minutes or so. But yeah, when I have a guest, I mean, I, I think to me, the hour... 45, two-hour time frame is kind of a sweet spot for me. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to do, you know, we first started this podcast, and I keep saying we, you know, it's it's me and another guy originally, but it's just me now. But um, we originally started off saying, man. You okay if I crack this? Oh, we're going to do it in just just one second. Okay, I got you. Um, But, you know, we started off saying, how are we going to even fill 30 minutes worth of time? Right. In the very first episode, we went like two and a half hours. Right. You know, you you hit the record button, and next thing you know, like, holy shit, it's been two and a half hours. Right. So it's easy to have a – if you're having a good conversation, it's easy to have a long conversation. Right. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a beer. That's a good Sorry. good idea. This is a show about craft beer. So give me one second. I'm going to cut this AC off because I hate having the noise of the AC coming on. Okay. So Here give me one second. Here you go. Yeah, even though I have the headphones on, I can still hear, you know, that uh, right. air blowing through the vents, and it pisses me off. So I'll go in and try and cut out some of that in the uh, in the audio. But, um, yeah, let's open a beer. That's okay. a good good call, Dale. All right. And your last name is Lipton, is that correct? Lippin. 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 Okay, so it's not Lipton. I was thinking it was like the... Uh, like the T? No, not like the T, the guy that does the uh, Actors Guild. What's that guy's name? Oh, James Lipton. Yeah. yeah I yeah, thought yeah, maybe yeah. it was something like For that. Sure. But, uh, I'll probably look like him when I'm older. Yeah. The beard and the, the wrinkly face and all right. that stuff. Right. Yeah, I missed the, uh, there was no T in there, I guess. No, you're good. Oh, let me pour yours first, buddy. You're going to pour my beer for me? Yeah, fuck yeah. That's what I do over here, man. I'm the host. Well, I understand that, but that's... All right. And I do this for a living. Real, you're making me feel real uh, real special right now, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. For you, that. buddy. And uh, we'll talk about this beer here in a second. So this is a high wire lager. You mentioned that you wanted a lager. So um, I've had a high wire rep on, as a matter of fact, at one point. Okay. Um, He was a fantastic guest. 
you brought us this high wire sign. As a matter of fact, it's back here behind the camera. You can't see it. It's been on the camera many times, but I got you. Uh, high wire brewing. This is a lager brewed with 100% Pilsner malt and slightly hopped with German Hallertu and U.S. Uh, Tetanen. God damn it. Tetanen hops. There you go. This brew is fermented with German lager yeast and aged in the tradition of the style. And Highwire Brewing Company, by the way, is out of uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and known for producing approachable and balanced ales and lagers. So that's what Highwire Brewing does out of Asheville. Well, it's a cute play on words. Yeah. Balanced ales and lagers. And then they balance exactly. on a Highwire. I yeah. like it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so I love these guys, man. They're doing really good stuff. They, they've grown a lot. Um, initially, you know. Kind of so-so beers, but I think in the past couple of years or so, they've stepped it up a little bit, and they're one of the highest producing uh, breweries up there in Nashville right now. Right. So. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm super late to the beer game. Uh, admittedly, through most of my, uh, you know, post-high school military, and then even <clears throat> most of my, you know, uh, after that adult life, I just strictly was a whiskey guy. Like, that's just was my thing i just loved whiskey two fingers of whiskey maybe it maybe a splash of water sure that was about it and then um a buddy of mine was like dude just can you just drink beer instead of stop being so damn difficult every time we go somewhere and everything like that so i started you know uh very very basic with just yingling and things like that you know and just um it wasn't until recently that i really just was even brave enough to to step out of that that comfort zone of just the mainstays that you can get at the store you know and then move into an area like this where there's freaking breweries everywhere man everybody's like you got to try this you got to try that you know and it's man that was just just a mind blowing i have no idea how much shit's out there man yeah it's it's crazy it's it's overwhelming at this point so in your opinion with that do you think that the market gets muddled down with bad beer because there's so many people trying to get into it or are you thinking it's making everybody raise their game up i think it's it's done yeah just like you said the latter part of that i mean i think um you know people say are we going to reach a bubble you know kind of like a housing bubble or or market or whatever where things just going to explode and it's just it's no good anymore but I, i think i think everybody is um producing better and better beer i think each brewery that opens up i've seen an increased product right from what uh, days of old you know even five years ago ten years ago whatever people are stepping it up and doing it right uh, straight out of the box you know as an example wide awake brewing company you know those guys are on the table over here um, right out the box they came out with some pretty decent beers i mean was it uh, fantastic right. was it um, top of the line no it wasn't but i've seen other breweries you know uh, two three years five years ago that came out the box and you were like this is crap. I mean, it's bullshit. <laughs> These guys should not even be open. And they've stood the test of time. Most of them have, have, are still around and they're doing great things now. But but uh, these guys came out the box doing great stuff from the get-go. So right. I think people were stepping it up and they're learning the game. And there's more materials out there, more education out there is how, how to get started right. and to do it the right way to begin with. Right. And, I, and I think everybody is flourishing. I think it's a it's not a game where... You know, most businesses are out there in competition with each other, like a Lowe's and a Home Depot or 
a Walmart and a Target or a Kmart or whatever, you're in competition. You're trying to put the other guy out of business. You're trying right. to get all their business, whereas breweries are collaborators. Right. They want to work together, and they want to... They want you to go to this guy's brewery, and they want you to come to their brewery, and then they want you to go to the next guy's brewery, and they want it to be like a round robin right. where you're doing things throughout the day, and you're enjoying everybody's beer. Yeah. And, and then those guys are collaborating, and they're making collaborative beers together and enjoying the whole process as a family versus a competition. So right. I love it. I don't think it's ever <laughs> going to get saturated or oversaturated. Right. Uh, we talk about Asheville. Asheville has the most breweries per capita in the United States, I think, right now still. Right. Um, Charleston, I think now we're up to 31 breweries within the low country. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. I do a lot. I mean, just do a lot of business in the, <clears throat> in the city and just driving around, and it's there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot. Let's cheers. I mean, speaking of that, yeah, let's yeah, cheers yeah. to a uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In collaboration on that. Thank you, sir. That's good after a day of work. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a nice light lager. Um, He's a drink and refreshing. So, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I forgot what I was going to say because I just wanted to say I like that. Yeah, I mean, so what you're describing to me and what it sounds like as far as where I see it going is it seems like it's more of a culture than it is anything else. Whereas, like, your big boy heavy hitters, it's almost like corporation style. Like you said, somebody's trying to take business from somebody else. Yeah, the big boys. Yeah. But if you're these smaller breweries, it's almost, you know, you're trying to promote the culture and the consumption and the, just the actual <clears throat> community of it, which is great. Because it wasn't that long ago, I remember, not that it was like a joke, but this idea of like, oh, you know. Dale makes beer, you know, he's got his own little micro thing where he's just making beer and, and it's, you're just, you know, you go over to a guy's house and he's got like six nondescript bottles because his wife bought him some beer making kit that it, for Christmas and he made a couple bottles of beer and then you and your buddies would sit in a garage and take a sip and try not to throw up while you tell this guy like, oh yeah, it's good beer. It's kind right. of but now it's, you go to a guy's house and he's like, yeah, I, I brew beer or I, or I, you know, I make beer or whatever. And you, he can hand you a beer and you drink and be like, damn, Steve, this man, shit is good, man. It's better than anything <laughs> I've had at a brewery. <laughs> this yeah. is really good. Yeah, my younger brother does it right now. And I brewed myself as well, but my younger brother's doing some fantastic beer right now. And we want to open up our own breweries at one point. But And I just want to interject for a second. Yeah. I'll be writing some stuff down. I'll be doing some stuff on my computer. I don't have an intern. I don't have anybody else working for me. I don't have a Jamie. I don't have... All these other people. So I'm not trying to ignore you. I don't mean to be rude Dude, if thing. I write some stuff down or whatever. But I'm just trying to make sure I get show notes and I'm trying to look up information if we need it. But I uh, I usually have um, I so there's this really great company. Um, and I, I don't know how you feel about free plugs or anything like that. But no. uh, there's it's a, all free on this show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh there's this really great company out there called Field Notes. Um, they make really, really high quality and affordable notebooks that are like pocket size. They fit perfectly and they're super durable. Yeah. Um, I subscribe to them. It's like a subscription based thing. So every three months they send me a pack. I've been a customer of theirs for probably seven years now. Um, because I write notes constantly. So mm -hmm. I don't have it in my pocket now because the only notebook that I take with me to work is my work notebook. So I emptied out my pockets with the exception of my phone before I come in. If I walk out to the to my truck and get it, I mean, I literally, I'm always taking notes. So you yeah. feel, feel free. I, what it is, it honestly shows me what everybody else sees all the time. Because as soon as somebody says something that I like or I want to look at or do whatever, I, I, 
I write it down. Yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah, but I don't you. write it down. I, I do not remember it. So and I try and make sure I catch everybody in the show notes and, and tag people and hashtag people and all the fun stuff you're supposed to do on Instagram. Right. But um, yeah, I love field notes. They're worth looking into for sure. All right. But I don't want to, I don't want to get away from it because you said it because you were talking about a, your brewery, but I was listening to one of your other episodes and you had mentioned it. So, um, aspirations wise, you, you recently flirted with the idea of a mayoral run, right? Which is another future aspiration. So I've heard you, I've heard <laughs> you come up with two of them now, one, one brewery maybe and mayoral run. So. Right. Is it? I mean, is that a legitimate thing we're doing, or you're thinking about it, or what's the? No, it's legit. I mean, as far as the brewery goes, you know, my both my brothers. I have an older brother and I have a younger brother. Uh, we're all about four and a half years apart, and uh, we've we've kicked around the idea of opening a brewery, a brewery for, I don't know, ten years now, probably. Right. And uh, you know, we've we've thought of some different names. Three Brothers Brewing. I mean, um, my younger brother does. Um, he lists his stuff as uh, Dale's Ale Works right now, so that's another name that we thought of. But I brew, uh, my younger brother brews, my older brother has is, is, is been in restaurant management for 18 or 20 years before he got into uh, some IT work. So we've got all the tools, I think, right. as far as management and business uh, uh, business sense and uh, brewery experience and things like that. But uh yeah, they both still have their own day jobs right now, and they're right. trying to support uh, families and kids right. and wives and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting here just doing my own thing with the Homegrown Brew House, partnered up with those guys. So we all definitely have a beer knowledge, and I think we would do a great thing, but we just uh, we just haven't gotten off the ground yet. We want to do it. Right. I think we could put out a good product and, and be successful, but one day, you know, and, and I'm hoping that, as I just said, the market is not oversaturated when we try and jump into it, right. which I don't think it will be. But, uh, but yeah, the the mayoral run is 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 a thought. You know, Dorchester County, Somerville. There is a uh, a mayor now that people are not super fond of. They were pretty fond of the last mayor, Mayor Collins, okay. uh, Mayor Riley. Right now. Wiley. Wiley. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to remember the signs last time I saw them, but it was. Okay. Yeah. Him and his cabinet are not the um, the most popular right. in the world right now. So uh, me and a buddy of mine, Fleming Moore, are both uh, thinking about running. We haven't thrown our name in the hat officially yet. There's two guys that are out there right now that have definitely thrown their name in the hat mm-hmm. that are uh, definitely going to run. Wiley might run again. He hasn't uh, said for sure yet. Uh, Mayor Collins, you know, that got beat last time. He might come back and throw his name in the hat as well. Uh, and these are all kind of, you know, older guys. Right. Um, I'm trying to to look at it from a younger perspective and say, hey, look, man, I think, um, you know, the uh, the old the old ways and the old thoughts of the way this town should be run and let's keep it this nice, sleepy little Somerville town and let's not grow. And everybody wants to maintain all the history and all the right. – um, all the old stuff that has happened in this town, that's fantastic. I mean, history is great, but we need progress as well. So I've thought about it. I, I, I feel like I've got a, I've got a pulse on the city, on the town. I, I grew up here, oh, North Charleston originally, but I've been in Somerville since 1986. Right. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just feel like I know, I feel like I know how to lead people for one. I mean, right. 21 years in the military, I've done that. And I feel like I'm I'm a positive influence. I feel like I, I have some sense about me. I'm smart. 
And I just think I could make some good changes. And I think um, my biggest thing is I would listen to people and integrate their ideas right. and not be so combative against um, ideas, right. I guess, is what I'm saying. You know, a lot of people are just hell-bent on their ideas and it's only my way or the highway type thing right? Uh, without listening to the constituents that got you in the office in the first place. Right. Um, and I think, you know, government should be for the people by the people type I, thing. I would agree. 100%. You know. So it's a thought. Um, I've got some time to kind of to mull it around and still figure it out before I throw my name in the hat, but it's a thought. Yeah. So here's so just because I'm 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 new to the Somerville area, I just moved here three years ago. Right. And that was one of my things in my notes yeah. I wanted because I didn't know if you were from Somerville originally no, or not, no, no. but I wanted to kind of get a background on how you ended up in Somerville. But yeah. So we'll get there real quick. But I just okay. um so just basically how things are normally done as far as like smaller cities or boroughs or whatever, at least up in, in PA where I'm from, um, not all mayors get paid or it's like a part-time position or something mm-hmm. like that. Same thing. It's the same thing down here. Yeah. Okay. Cause I just, Somerville's a, a big town, whether we, they, whether they want to portray it as a sleepy little Southern town still or not, it's not. And it's growing right. whether they're ready for it or not. Yeah. It's going to get bigger. So a lot of times you see, where these towns turn into cities and then, you know. Well, and, and, that's, uh, and that's the thing is, is a lot of these people around this town don't want it to become that. They're like, oh, we want it to be just small Somerville. We don't want it to be Charleston. We don't want it to be right. Mount Pleasant. We don't want it to be West Astor. Well, why not? What's wrong with those towns? I mean, what's wrong with growth? Why do you right. want to stagnate your growth? Right. Um, I, I don't see it. I don't see why. Right. You know, I, they probably don't want the extra people in town. They want the extra traffic, the extra headache. But if you accommodate that and you right. prepare for that and you build around that, right. then you're still the same town that flourishes and does whatever it's done before. You just uh, you have more people on it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it should be the same feel. But and you can, have to build the infrastructure around that right. growth. And I think that's what has happened. And I think that's what people are pissed off about is, look, we're growing too fast for the infrastructure. Yeah, for sure. 100%. And you can't get around town within 15 minutes. You can't go from one side to the other in 15 minutes anymore. I mean, it takes you a half an hour to get yeah. across town. So Somerville's the most beautiful parking lot I've ever visited. <laughs> right. So we got to figure out a way to fix that. Um, that's the problem. It's not the people that are coming into this town. It's right. that we don't have the facilities to accommodate those people. Well, as counterproductive as it may seem, I think growth is the way to thin it out a little bit. Yeah. Is if if things continue to grow, then it spreads it out more. You know, if we move further up 26 or whatever and things grow in these other neighborhoods, it reduces the concentration of people in those certain areas. Like North Main and South Main on a Saturday is insufferable. You can't yeah. go. But if you live... And anywhere from like the Cane Bay area to Knightsville, and you want to go to Target, where the hell else are you going to go? Mm-hmm. You have to go there. Yeah. So you have to go into the lion's den, if you will, in order to go to Target. There's no other option unless you want to drive way down on rivers or something like that. Sure. Where are you going to go? So the only way to thin the, that concentration of people out, as counterproductive as it might seem, is to grow more to sort of give people another option and another area to go, which is why I'm super pumped up as far as, because I live out in Cane Bay, is to see that whole Nexton Parkway area and that whole Nexton area. Dude, the faster that shit grows, the better, man. Just get yeah. as many, get a Harris Teeter back there, get a Lowe's, get a Target. 
you will never see me over on this side of town unless I'm coming to get something to eat or, you know, go to homegrown or get a drink, you know, whatever. I, there's no, it will, it will diminish that cluster that is North and South Maine on, on a free Saturday, man. Right. Yeah. So. People balk about that, you know, about the Mercedes coming in, the Volvos coming in yeah. and the next one coming in and all the people from Ohio that are coming down and whatever. Right. Why would you not want your town to grow? Why would you not want people to come and spend their money in your town? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, first of all, the people that are complaining about people from Ohio being down here, you've never been to Ohio because if you go to Ohio, you would realize why people want to leave because right. Ohio sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's listen, we should almost be embracing people from Ohio as if they're like refugees. I, Dude, Ohio... Yeah, uh, you're talking. I mean, about, I, I, I've joked, you know, about building a wall around Somerville to right. take all the Ohio people out. But no, we want people to come in. We want right. people's money. I mean, come in. Yeah, and ideas. I mean, right. people come in from other parts of the country that have great progressive ideas. Bring those people in. Let them spend their money. Let's get their taxes, and let's help grow this town and and make it the best place in in the South. You know, right. pe- people to come. I have an ongoing feud with Ohio and Philadelphia, so on, on, if you listen to any number of my episodes, I, I consistently talk shit about, about this place because I don't. Being from Pittsburgh, it's almost a mandatory. But I mean, you're talking about you're talking about a state, and this is the last thing I'm gonna say about Ohio. You're talking about a state <laughs> where one of their one of their rivers was so polluted at one point in time it caught on fire. Hmm. I think it was the Cuyahoga River caught on fire. Okay. It was so polluted. I think it was in the seventies, seventy six or something like that. Ohio River fire. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So polluted that it caught on fire yeah. and that they couldn't put it out. That's how bad that place. I'm just throwing it's not maybe it's, I don't think it's still you could catch it on fire <laughs> just any place like that. Possibly. But yeah. all right. So, so okay, so how did you come down here from Pittsburgh? All right. And and are you a Steelers fan or an Eagles fan? I'm I guess a, you would be Steelers. I, I yeah, just yeah. just by default I can't root for anything Philadelphia. Right. Um, yeah, I'm an Eagles fan. Out, outside of Rocky, there is nothing in Philadelphia that that would even remotely um, interest me. Well, cheesesteaks too, obviously. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. But okay. So we're both Air Force guys. Okay. We haven't touched on that yet. No. Nope. So Hundred percent. We've only had one beer. I have not partaken in any of the devil's lettuce or anything like that. But I have to deep. You got some if you want. I've no. I've got. (laughs) I've got got a deep dive on this to see if you think this is freaky as as I do. All right. So, I signed up for the Air Force. Right. The Air Force, in and of itself, if you look at all Air Force veterans from time immemorial, right, from Army Air Corps till now, Mm -hmm. okay, there can there's only that's a limited number of people, right. So. In within that limited number of people, there were people named Brian and people named Dale. Okay, okay? right? Yeah. Okay. Thus, that thus representing you and I. All right. I sign up. Go to Okinawa. In Okinawa, I meet one of my best friends on the entire planet. To this day, talk to him for an hour today on the phone. It's my dude. Right. His name is Brian. Okay. Okay. Right. So, so, so listen. So, a Brian and a Dale meet in the Air Force and become great friends. Right. Best of friends. Fast forward to 2018, or maybe it was 2019, whenever it was that you and I met. Uh, 19. Okay. I meet. I meet you, a fellow Air Force veteran, and your name is the conjunction of. Our two names 
within that small spectrum of people. So, right. the, well, I mean, there's an S on on Dales, but yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Pretty similar. It's 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 one letter different. Yeah, and it's not even like the it, it, it'd be listed it'd be different if your first name or your last name was Sales, but no, it's <laughs> Dales. Like my first name is Dale. His first name is Brian. We were both in the Air Force. You're, you were in the Air Force. Your name is the collaboration of both of our names together with an S on the end of it. And you and I met. The numbers for that to have actually happened have to be infinitesimal. Right. It, 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 it can't be any, like, it can't be any smaller. It, it would be like if I won the lottery, then my oldest won the lottery, and then my youngest won the lottery. Like, that, I can't even imagine. Yeah. There's not even a way to equate the math to that. I didn't know that, but that's a good point. I'm just saying, that's just, anyway, I know that sounds like a super weird, that guy, you know, doesn't have a lot of brain cells thing, but I just, that blows my no, mind. No, I mean, that's that's somebody that has a lot of brain cells, somebody that can think, you know, and put those thoughts together. But it just blew my mind that, yeah. that like, literally your name, and it, and, it, and even then, it's not like we we met or you were part of something like, you know, like my banker or something like that. Like, we share a common a commonality Within something, within, and, yeah, within podcasting, yeah. Well, not even with, not even within, but within the Air Force. Okay, so like we're both Air Force veterans. Mm-hmm. Like, and then that's where. I, but anyway, all right, I'm deep diving into this too much. No, that was great. Okay, so what did you do in the Air Force? I was POL, so uh, I basically made sure that planes things got, are calibrated. And no, well, good. planes got gas and PO. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. different. So, what'd you do? Uh, physical and occupational therapy. Oh, nice. Yeah, hospital job. I have to have you look at nice my... cushy. Look at my shoulders. Air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Hey, listen. That, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I joke around and, you know, I, I know you've seen some of the stuff I post up on, on Instagram and stuff like that, but, you know, when I went and took my ASVAB, um, you know, I, it was, it's one of those things where it was like, I... I didn't realize, and I try to tell I try to tell kids this now because I've done stuff with youth coaching and things like that. Is any job that you can imagine in the civilian world, with the exception of maybe a handful, mm-hmm. is available to you in some way, shape, or form in military format? Yeah, it's like it's like a small town on right. an air force base. Yeah, right, you get every job that you have anywhere else. Right. So like, it would trip me out to go to like the hospital on base. And there'd be some dude that was a dental hygienist and he was like a, a staff sergeant right. and you're cleaning my teeth. And I'm like, how is this a thing? Like you're getting paid, right? Like you VA, you know, VA, VA home loan eligible Montgomery GI bill post nine 11 GI bill eligible. You're like, you're doing all these things and you're, you're a dental hygienist. Like, dude, what? Like, I want to punch my recruiter in the mouth. What are you doing? About? I'm sweating on the flight line, bro. You could right. told me I could have been hanging out. You know what I'm saying? Like chilling in the hospital or you go to like, like, like transport or something like that. Come on, man. It literally for people that don't know, if you think of a job in a civilian world, it exists in the military and you can go and you can reap all the benefits that uncle Sam offers. And it's a lot. Yeah. 100%. You can do all of that. And you I was a recruiter for a while as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, well, this might be the part where we start screaming at each other. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, literally, like anything you want to do, man, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, 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 
I loved and hated my time in. Obviously, didn't do you know twenty one years, um, but you know it was a thing. But anyway, when I got out, I took a job in Greenville, South Carolina, um, and I worked for the South Carolina Department of Corrections for a couple of years in outside outside of Greenville, South Carolina. Um, we originally from Pittsburgh, but when we decided that we want to start a family, we want to do it close to home. We were down here. You know, we didn't have a support system or anything like that. So if we want to have kids, we want to be near the grandparents and everything like that. So we moved right. back up to Butler, which is right outside Pittsburgh, like I said. Um, and then I worked for the Department of Corrections up there for a long time. And we uh, basically decided that we wanted to go to the place. We wanted to live in the place where we go on vacation is essentially what it is. So, there's no point in sitting up there and suffering in winters that are sitting at minus 10, minus 15 degrees whenever there's places that exist like this. And with the growth that the Somerville area has seen and that the Charleston area has seen, we were like, we shouldn't have any problem getting jobs and moving down here and making it work. Um, so I went with a job that I knew I could get, and I worked for the Federal Bureau of Prisons out in Salters for a while. Because uh, I, I knew I could get it. I mean, I didn't even hit send on the application on USA Jobs. And they were calling me like, you ready? Oh, I'm sure, I guess. But we used that to get down here. And that was the vehicle that got us down here. Um, but obviously didn't want to live in Bono or St. Stephen's or Salter's or Williamsburg. Because there's nothing out there. They don't, you know, it's not of any fault of their own. But there's no, not a good education system out there that I want to put my kids or anything like that. So Somerville was the closest high quality town area whatever that wasn't Florence between here and there that we could go to. Right. So that's well, I mean, how I got here. How did that get on your radar, you know, versus something in Georgia or Florida or North Carolina? Because we vacationed in Charleston. Okay. So we come down here and we go to Folly. And Folly to there was was further and obviously with the mar- housing market down there I can't afford a beach house or anything like that. Right. But Somerville was a cool spot where your, your, your dollar could take you a little bit further than it could, you know, the closer you got to the city. And right. it wasn't, we're not big inner city people either. So I wasn't like trying to do that whole apartment life with kids and all that kind of stuff. So, right. um, so I guess it helps, you know, the uh, Charleston area has been uh, retirement magazine, you know, travel magazine. Right. I mean, the top places right. to go forever. Right? right. So, yeah, I guess a lot of people have that on the radar, radar because of that. But well, we initially looked at Buford. Um, and I can't remember the website, but there's like a, uh, somebody made this really great website that like will list and, um, it basically rates towns, um, you know, everything from crime rate to education, like puts them on a grade scale. Mm. Um, and Beaufort was like really great. And we had, we, you know, we had visited before in the past, but it was the, the crime rate was higher than what we were willing to accept. And we were coming from a high crime area, so we were like, no, we're not going to do it. If there's one thing that we're going to be sure that we avoid is an area with a crime rate that is, at least according to this website, statistically like where we're at. Mm-hmm. So Somerville was was a good median. So we came down here uh, for a little over a week and stayed in Folly, and then we would spend the day or mornings at the beach, and then we'd drive up and sort of, you know, hang out and drive around and sort of look around. And then uh, when we moved down here, we actually moved into Pine Forest, and I lived there for, for a while before we built our house out where we're at now. So, Where's Pine Forest? The Country Club, right? Across. Oh, yeah, 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 Pine Forest. Yeah. Never mind. I was trying not to say the Country Club because it makes me sound like a, like a douchebag. But right. It's, <laughs> no, but it's not, man. That's, but that's, that's, but that's good real estate. Yeah, no, it is. And I, yeah, we... 
probably should have stayed in there. But yeah, that's um, but that's how we got down here. So right, um, that's where that's where we're at now. So, but you said you've been here since '86. Yeah, we moved to Somerville, my, my family and I, in '86. Yeah, man. And then I, you know, I was here till '92, and then I joined the military and went away for about 21 years, and and just recently Fair. came back in 2014. So, but yeah, the rest of my family's been here for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, if you're going to run for mayor, those are the kind of roots you need in an area because people. I think so. People get. Yeah, people like that. They yeah, they get tied up on that. Like he's been here. He's not an outsider. He's one of us. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Right. Yeah, but that's an interest, right? Because you're here. You've been here. Well, I think the other thing that would that would work with something like that too is, um, and I mean this in the nicest way possible. You don't need it. Like you don't like some people need power. Some people need validation. <clears throat> some people need that I'm contributing style thing. But right. if you have just a general disposition of helping and at ease and wanting to make things better, not only for the people that are here, but because you're here, that right. goes a long way. And, you know, you being as entrenched as it appears that you are in this community, I think that, go, I think that goes a long way for something like that. And people like, you and people in that position are what's needed in towns like this in those leadership positions. So, right. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I, I gave up the military. I gave up a government contracting job to, to do what I like and do what I enjoy and do what I love, which is a uh, beer centric. I mean, I'm, I'm a bartender. I do a, a podcast about beer. I do a podcast and I do it without any compensation whatsoever. I don't have any advertising. I don't have any money. So, yeah, I think to, to do a mayoral run would be just for the fun of doing it, just right. because I enjoy it, not because I have an agenda, not because I I need uh, constituents, not because I need uh, donators and, and money in my pocket, and not because I need contacts. It would just be for the fun of doing it and to do it greatly, to right. do a good job at it, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the fun is, it, it, when you say do it for fun, the fun it comes in the fact that you can do it without reservations on whether or not you're helping people. So you can approach it under the guise of, I'm here to help. Right. So if you don't have any ulterior motive behind it, yeah. you know, uh, I, I think that's... <clears throat> and I mean, it's my town. So right. I'm helping myself by helping exactly. everybody else. Exactly, you know? that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Which was one of the things, you know... Um, we're, you know, not to not to make it a political conversation, and I don't want to. Is it is one of the things that I liked about you know the most recent presidential run that we saw was a was a little bit of like money initially on the table wasn't the big factor. It wasn't like I'm I'm doing this because of money or potential money or things like that. It was that was already eliminated off the jump. So that you when you when you don't have the money vested interest in it but rather the embetterment vested interest that's what it's about especially in a smaller town the more you want to see your small town succeed your small town be better i think that's great man i mean especially if you have the means and the gumption and the want to do it yeah as far as i'm concerned like you know you hear guys like rogan say like you'd have to be like the biggest narcissist or like the biggest asshole in the world to want to be the president to have everybody staring at you all the time and ripping yeah. your life and every word apart on a mayor is a position, and I think even like a representative or even a governor on a, on maybe a lesser scale is one of the few positions in a in a government standpoint where you actually can make a tangible difference. I think so too. You're not controlled by any special interests or anything right. like that. I mean, you're you're just a project manager of a town. I mean, you're just helping to direct some projects yeah. and and allocate some money here and there and. 
uh, make some improvements and, you know, plant some trees, whatever, right. you know, repair some roads. I mean, right. it's not, you're not uh, looking for those, uh, you know, big oil and phar- uh, pharmaceutical companies and whatever to, to line your pockets and, and influence you. You're just, you're doing what's best for the town. Right. I think. Um, and there's some that will still, you know, figure out a way to, 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 to make that of stupid. Course. But Of course. All right. So let's. Let's get back to beer because I'm. Oh, you so need I, another. Yeah, beer. I need another. So, but I wanted to. I wanted to ask this of you then, and we didn't. I didn't. <clears throat> so, with the growth of beer, the beer industry, the craft beer industry, everything that's going on, as far as like I'm a look forward kind of guy. The the industry itself growing is great, but what's the in your opinion? Sorry, I could. No, you're, you're fine. You're good. What's the um? What's next? Like what? What? What's the new? wave what are we going to see next in the beer world so craft beer is taking off so that's like sort of where we're at but what's what's going to come after this um you know that's a good question i don't know i really don't know yeah because i mean so the way i look i mean i mean i would see maybe more of a meshing of the, the liquor community and the beer community coming together and doing more stuff together. Okay. We're already doing barrel aged, you know, beers. We're already doing, uh, liquors are already infusing their, uh, whiskeys and stuff in stout barrels and IPA barrels and That's things like point. that. Yeah. You do see a lot of that now. Um, so I think there's going to be a, just a collaboration of those two guys. Um, I don't see where wine's going to be coming into play very much. They don't really play well together right. with the two, but I think, uh, liquor and beer are going to kind of, join forces a little bit more right that's what i would see i don't know no uh, it's weird as soon as you said like the barrel age stuff i started thinking about all the stuff that i've had recently that's been you know whatever you know sat in a whiskey barrel or a bourbon barrel or whatever and i'll tell you what i've even seen a resurgence of the past i think you know we we hit this growth where you know, it used to be you just had you had a, a lager, you had an IPA, you had a brown, you had maybe a stout, you had maybe a porter, um, and that was it. You had like four or five different styles, and now the styles are like tenfold. I mean, right. you've got just a sour, you've got a porter, you've got a, a red, you've got a, a barrel aged, you've got this and that, and it seems like lately things have kind of gone back to just traditional styles. Right. I think we're kind of reverting, and everybody's over all this fancy... Uh, uh, New England style IPAs, uh, milkshake IPAs, um, all the different sours that you can get, lactose beers. I just saw something that with that the other day. What is that? What is what is lactose beer? <clears throat> lactose, it's, it's, it's a sugar. You know, that comes from milk. Okay. It's a it's a lactose. It's a sugar. So they're adding that to beers. It kind of thickens it up a little bit. It gives it a little bit more of a mouthfeel. Um, it adds more sugar, so you can get more alcohol out of the uh, the yeast. You is know, it, when you're is fermenting. It like syrupy or what? How does it? No, not really syrupy, but okay. it gives a little more sweetness and just it kind of thickens the beer up a little bit. Okay. So that's why they call it milkshake IPAs quite often. But um, I feel like we're kind of getting away from all this fancy, extravagant, uh, way out there type beers. And we're kind of going back to the traditional lagers and we're going back to the traditional West Coast style IPAs right, and right. bitterness and things. I think it's reverting back to some smaller scale stuff okay. instead of just being way out here and just anything goes right i think we're kind of down it back down it back into the to the basics is what i see it going to i think you saw i mean at least i remember a couple of years ago what it was i forget what the company was i think it was pinnacle 
But remember, like, Pinnacle Vodka made for a while there. They, like, had everything from, like, raspberry to, like, Thanksgiving dinner flavored vodka. And it was, like... Pickle and, yeah, yeah, just whatever. Just all kinds of just crazy shit. And you're like, this can't even be... Like, what are you making using, you know, turducken vodka? Like, what Mm -hmm. are you possibly going to make? Who's going to sit there and drink any sort of drink with, you know, whatever... uh, I don't know, grandma sugar cookie vodka and whatever, whatever the hell's. What, and that's what I'm talking mean, about. It's yeah. kind of just gotten out of control. Right, like, right. Uh, oh my God, there's a niche for everybody, which is great. You know, you're kind of hitting, and they're trying to pull in those people that say that I'm not a beer drinker. I don't right. like beer. Right. Well, there's a beer for everybody, I guarantee you. Yeah. You just haven't found the right beer for you yet. Right. Um, but they're trying to pull in those, those women that like wine. They're trying to pull in the cider people. They're trying to pull in. Uh, people that like sweet dessert type beers. They're trying to pull in people that don't like bitterness in their beers from an IPA. Um, so they're doing that to appease customers, which is great. But I think now that they've pulled people in and people have a palate for craft beer, right. that it's going to start going back to just kind of the traditional type beers. Because right. they've already pulled them in. Right. Now they just need to keep them there and, and they can get them to like the old style type stuff, right. if that makes sense. But, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a, like I said, for the longest time, I was just traditionalist style, just whiskey with a splash of water. And that was, that was, that was, that was basically it. And even then, if I want to get real fancy now, I'll just throw, you know, some whiskey and some ginger ale together. And that's about as fancy as I get outside of, you know, beer. So, you know, I guess maybe I'm thinking, and again, this could be my own not knowing what the hell I'm talking about. It seems like everything now uh, especially having a beard and stuff like that. I see stuff like that all the time. Like, everybody's putting CBD in everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, all, it's all we gimmicks. Had, yeah, we had somebody reach out. It was like, you know, hey, we got this CBD CBD beard oil. And I'm like, my beard, <laughs> yeah. my beard doesn't my care. My beard doesn't need to my be beard relaxed. doesn't give a shit whether or not there's <laughs> CBD in it. It doesn't bother me at all. So I, I maybe like hemp beers or CBD or anything like that. I mean, because you can buy CBD coffee now. Right. Which is, yeah, it's definitely a thing. Right, they're, they're doing big things in Colorado with all that stuff. But right, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's what I, I just wonder what the next thing is because I'm always, I'm always looking to invest too. You know what I mean? I'm right, be that guy that hell if if if, uh, if milkshake IPAs are going to be the next thing that turns me into a millionaire, I'll, right. I'll be. You know, yeah, but I, I'll, I think I'll they're all on that milkshake IPA train. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're all kind of uh, <laughs> sorry falling stars. I mean, I, I think they they have a limited amount of success and right. then they fall out but yeah yeah because it's all just gimmicks i mean people just want a gimmick and then that gimmick kind of falls and then okay what's my next gimmick right and that falls i mean there's nothing to sustainable i don't think right in the beer industry i think it's all they're gimmicks all, they're all fidget spinners is what yeah. you're saying yeah for sure <laughs> I've, got, I've got four of those things laying around my house man right fidget spinners coming out of my ears which funny you know what, what's going to happen is is 30 years from now those fidget spinners are going to be worth 200 bucks a piece or 300 bucks a yeah, piece for sure you know and it's just gonna be some stupid thing like it had me thinking whenever i was talking about the how it used to be like a you know sort of tease a guy that used to make his own beer i remember that being a thing and then that was right around the same time that uh bitcoin was like people were you know oh it's just digital currency nobody's ever gonna touch that <clears throat> i think that's still gonna be a thing though for sure i think it will be too um and I remember, I remember watching a special. Um, the guy that did Supersize Me, Morgan Spurlock, did mm-hmm. some sort of. He had some other show after the Supersize Me thing where he went around 
I think he had like three Bitcoin or something like that. And he was going around New York and various areas trying to buy a slice of pizza or a cup of coffee or whatever using Bitcoin. But this was 10 years ago or whatever. And I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But, you know, if I could find the episode, go back and look at it. At the height of Bitcoin last summer, if you were to take that same thing and translate it to what it was, well, the amount he had then to what it was last summer, he was probably trying to buy pizza at like $30,000 a slice is essentially <laughs> what it was boiling out to because he was, it, it was just unbelievable, you know, the way that we saw that, that, that explosion. So, yeah. um, I don't know, man, I don't know what's, what's coming next. I, I would like to get ahead of whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, especially as far as beer goes, I mean, if you're looking to start a brewery, I mean, what, you know, how, how I guess, so here's, here's a question for you then was how, if you're going to put out, if you're going to be a brewery, or if you want, if you're doing that and you're push, pursuing that further, what do you do that makes you stand out in a crowded room? So if there's 31 breweries here in Charleston and you start Dale's Ales or whatever the case may be, do you do you try to stand out or do you try to do one thing, do it really well? Or what's the, those looking to get started in this craft beer space? What should they be looking? What should they be looking for as far as what's a measure of success? Right. Um, I think just like anything else, you could have location. You know, location is number one. Um, and you've got to have, you you've got to have a niche. I mean, you've got to have something that you specialize in that nobody else is doing. Mm-hmm. So whatever that may be, I don't know what that is at the moment, but you've got to have something that you're doing that nobody else is doing out there. But then you also have to emulate and 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 appreciate what everybody else is doing too. If somebody has a great concert space and a, and a sound stage and they do live music, uh, that's fantastic. Then let's kind of mimic that. If you've got somebody that has uh, great food and a great kitchen and a great chef, then let's mimic that. I mean, you, you have to emulate and copy some things. I mean, right. there are no original ideas out there anymore. I don't think, I mean, you have to um, pick and choose what you want to do, but, I think location is number one. That's first and foremost. Right. You know, and I'm not going to pour any punches. Let's talk about Wide Awake Brewing Company. I mean, their location is horrible. It's not my favorite. Their space no. is small. <laughs> abysmal. It's small. Yeah. But they've got a good product, so I think that's going to help them stay uh, relevant. But they're going to outgrow that space and have to move, I think, very quickly. Yes. If they continue to do what they're doing and continue to improve their product and their beer, they're going to outgrow that space. They're going to have to go somewhere else. But so I think location is number one. You got to have a great space that you can grow into that you're not going to have to move and pick up and go somewhere else. Right. People want to know where you are and they want to go there. They don't want to pick up and move and go somewhere right. else now. So, which multiple people have done that in the low country. You know, tradesmen has moved. Um, Holy City is moving as we speak. <clears throat> Who else? A couple other people that I know of, but right. I can't think of them. After, Fat Pig <clears throat> started somewhere and they moved to somewhere else. But I think location is number one. I don't know if that answers your question at all, but location for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to. But so, obviously, you got to have a good product. Right. Well, I mean, so you have you have to do a product, and you have to do something that stands out. Um, you know, and you got to create. I think some sort of. You have to create a product that I think resonates with people, whether it be. And you can have great people. Right. That's a big thing too. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and you know what though? I th- and here's 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 where I think a lot of restaurants, 
breweries or even businesses as, as a whole get it wrong is that the people that represent your product are just as powerful as your product itself. I've gone to restaurants and had shitty meals. Mm-hmm. But the staff, the space, everything was awesome. Mm-hmm. And it severely diminishes the sting of having a crap meal. Yeah, it can make up for it. It can make up for it. I can go down to Belize and have a real shitty meal, but you know what? It was in a fantastic spot, and it made it that much better. And it makes it, it makes know, it better. It makes I'm better. on the Caribbean uh, Caribbean Ocean, and the the waves are lapping up, and the right. white sand, and you know all this stuff. But right. And on the flip side of that, I've gone to restaurants and I've gone to places, and I've I've consumed a product or had a, been at a business where. I love, you know, I just a, a meal that would make you think somebody was watching a porn beside me is, is how, the noises I'm making while I'm eating. Right. But I saw my waiter once yeah. and I sat there for half the time thirsty. And yeah. it's like, you, dude, I, I can't focus on how awesome this product is or how awesome this meal is because the, the service or the people are so bad. So That's more important sometimes, right? Right. So I think, I th- like I said, I think the two are married together in a way that a lot of people don't give it credit to. So I think if you have a, a decent enough space that invites people to be part of the community while they're there, you know, you get there and you feel like you're at home. You feel like this is, it harkens back to something within you that reminds you of something or where you want to be. And then the product takes them there, man. I think that could, I think that's a huge, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, I mean, to two together. You can't stop, right? Right. I mean, but yeah, you got to have. I think the the people is even more important. Right. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a place here, and maybe maybe your maybe your opinion of them is different than mine. But one place that I've been here that consistently does it awesome, and I love it. And I love the people there, and I don't tell them. I, I've never told them, and maybe I should next time I eat there. But Low Country Fish Camp. Never been there. If you go out towards Knightsville, it's like right before. Um, it's right before what's, what's that neighborhood out there? No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. A good friend of mine used to work here, wine and tapas in town. He's now the manager out there, uh, Chris. So I've been meaning to get out there and see him. But their food, fantastic. Their service, fantastic. Their space, while small, dude, you go in and it's like the old, it's like the the oyster roast style tables and stuff like that. You go in and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm at a little fish camp. Right. And then the people there are friendly. The foods. Fantastic, always fresh. I mean, it's just it's it's a good damn meal, man. You go there and you eat and you leave there and you're like, shit, I could have spent a lot more time and a lot more money here, but you you know you just can't wait to go back the next time you're there. And I think if you can do that, regardless of the size of the space or the product or whatever, if you can create that feeling to when somebody leaves and goes, can't wait to come back, right? Can't wait to drink, can't wait to drink that again, can't wait to be here again or do that again. I think that's yeah. that's where it's at. That is where it's at for sure. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, this, this, I like this, this idea of the craft beer community, uh, and I keep calling it a community for a reason because I feel like it's like that. You know, there's a, my dad drinks Miller. <clears throat> if I were to give him one of those, he'd be like, "The hell is this? Get this out of my hands right. and give me Miller or give me Bush or give me what you know, whatever." Yeah, and. When he goes to his his old favorites, he goes to the the VFW or the Elks or the Moose or the Lions or whatever whatever club, whatever social club he's yeah. going to, he's surrounded by dudes that are sitting there drinking Bush or Miller or Bud or whatever, and right. that's what they're old doing, school. right? But that's what they don't realize is is that that same thing of community, that same gift of social interaction and togetherness, 
is being replicated, but in a manner that they don't understand when you go to one of these brew, brew houses or breweries or something like that. Right. So, because you don't, you don't walk in, at least not in my experience, I don't walk into a brewery and I don't see a 65-year-old guy there watching sports or, you know, sitting there, you know, with just sitting there drinking a beer, you know, just trying to yeah. chop it up with the bar. Yeah, I wish, <clears throat> I wish those old guys could kind of realize that, look, you know, you're, you're supporting the big conglomerates, the big corporations, you know, the Embeds, the Heinekens of, of the world. And, um, you know, if you get into craft beer, you're supporting the little guy. You know, the guy that's trying to make a difference, the guy that's right. trying to, to line his pocket for his family, whatever. Right. Small business is craft beer. And, you know, homegrown brew house, that's all we do out there. We don't – if you have sold out, uh, no matter how much of a craft brewer you are, if you've sold out to the big guys, uh, we don't put you on the wall. You know, we're all about small business and supporting the little guy because right. we're a little guy. Right. You know, so we want to support those little guys as well. Um and these people just don't realize that uh, they're lining the pockets of these, you know, one percenters that don't need the money. Right. You know, these small guys, they're the ones that are putting forth the effort and they have the passion and they're doing uh, expansive things and great things and, and unique things that um, it's just not your watered down beer of yesterday. Right. Um, and I mean, those other beers have a place, I guess. Not really, <laughs> but they do. But... <sighs> America is built on the little guy, you know, and I think that's where the yeah. craft beer industry is. You know, the, the little guy is the one that's uh, that's making the great products and putting a lot of effort into it right. and really working hard. I don't know. Well, I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, what a lot of guys don't realize, too, you know, and that there is, we, we're certainly in a culture of feedback right now where now more than ever, people listen to feedback and take it to heart because there's so much riding on it. Um, there's, there's so much, there's so many people occupying only so little space. So it's a gift and a curse to have, to have Yelp, right? Like I think it's a gift and a curse that Yelp exists because you can have somebody that, um, you know, makes a good product and has a good restaurant or has a good brewery or whatever. And somebody has one bad experience and throws a very over-exaggerated review out there, and it can completely diminish something. Yeah, I hate you. Um, right, exactly. And that's, that's, that's the exact point I make. But to go back to what we were talking about with the old guys, is the old guy visits, say, a VFW, right? Or he goes to Carolina Ale House, okay? And, the, you know, the lady behind the, the bar at, at Carolina Ale House, he says, let me try something or other, and he picks a beer. And he drinks it, and he goes, ah, this isn't for me. It's too sweet. Right, mm -hmm. and he gives it back to her. Give me, give me old faithful. Give me Miller. Okay, that's my dad. Right. Yeah. Now, my dad, I take him. We go to Wide Awake. The guy that serves him the beer that he asked for is more than likely going to be the guy that's brewing the beer, or no, has the ear of the guy that's brewing the beer. So my dad drinks this and goes, "It's pretty good, man. But it's kind of sour, kind of this, kind of that." And that guy can go either, you know what? You're like the third person that said that to me. You're like the fifth person that said that to me. Or, oh, you didn't like that? Well, maybe you should try this. This is a little bit. We we do this just a little bit different for with this. And there's a little. There's some of that feedback, that immediate feedback loop that doesn't exist with the bigger guys. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think that 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 that's a gap or that's a bridge that people could cross that they just haven't yet. And I, you know. It makes me think now, going back to what I asked you earlier about what could be next. I think it could be the craft 
the first craft brewery or the the first middle or low and you know fish in the pond that's able to bridge that gap and get to the older guys and say you have our ear too you know if enough people got on there and went to frothy beard or high wire or whenever it went like hey man this this ain't it they discontinue or they change or they re-release or they do whatever right well speaking of you know like i said i think we're going back to kind of old school a little bit um, almost every brewery, like, you know, this is a logger from Highwire Brewing Company, but almost every brewery out there right now, locally and Asheville, around the country, are doing loggers right now. Yeah. And it's because, I think, they want to hit that niche of people that want that Bud Light. They want that Coors Light. Right. They want that PBR. They want that whatever. And there's been a huge resurgence in loggers right now. Right. And I think that they're trying to hit that niche. Right. They say, okay, well... Uh, InBev and all these guys are buying out all these craft breweries and, and little guys and um, trying to hit that market. Well, let's uh, let's hit that market ourselves and not let those guys buy into us. Let's right. hit it ourselves and appease those Bud, Bud Light guys right. and what have you. Well, there's two different t- – I go through two different phases of my year where I – this time of year from like this point forward, almost Easter forward, I need something that I can sip mm-hmm. and that I can just – you know, not drink all day long, but I can. I don't have to look down and be like, "Damn, I had eight of these things. I need to sit my ass down somewhere." Right. But then I've got the winter months, where my diet usually consists of Guinness or something heavy, like Guinness, and eight of those, and you feel like you ate ten R- ten MREs, and you can you can barely <laughs> walk. <10 hours. laughs> and that, but that's exact. A Guinness is a meal. A lot of people you say. They'll say, Dale, you drink Guinness. I'm like, yeah, I love Guinness. They're like, man, I can have like two of those, and then I got to waddle out of here. I feel terrible after it's it's so thick, it's so heavy, it's so this, it's so that. And people are like that, and that's fine. But as far as loggers go or pilsners or anything like that, I need something that I can sort of I can work on throughout the course of the day, or I can you know I'm not going to go out and cut the grass and go in the house and down a Guinness. Yeah. Not unless I want to spend the rest of the day in the bathroom. Right. I mean, you just can't do it. And see, I'm kind of the opposite. I think Guinness is just uh, super light, you know, compared to other stouts. And compared stuff to other out stouts. There right now, craft beer stouts. I mean. But people aren't going out there and finding those because of the way Guinness makes them feel. You know, right. there's some, and I'm with you, there's some like oatmeal stouts and stuff like that where it's like, dude, I feel like I need a spoon. Yeah. Like I need a spoon with this thing. Or I, I got some hefty stuff. I got to right chew it and stuff like that. Or milk stouts and stuff like that where it's like. Yeah. I feel like this weird involuntary need to chew while I'm drinking this beer. It's crazy thick, but yeah. I mean, it's just the way it is. For sure. Well, we've talked a lot about craft beer, and you brought out some some points earlier about Bitcoin and some investments and things like that. Well, let's talk about investments and betting and sports and oh, those gosh. type things. I mean, that's yeah. what you guys do on the Fistful of Cash that is uh, what we podcast. Do. So let's talk about that a little bit. How'd you get started with that? How did that become your your niche in the podcast world. So realistically it came about in the fact that I looked for, I realized one, something that I was good at, which was betting on sports. Um, Is there betting up in, in Pittsburgh? No. So, oh, so it's not I, legal up there. No. So I started bootleg like everybody else doing the over overseas books, uh, the overseas sports books and stuff like that. Sometimes you get paid, sometimes you don't. Things have gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. But Jersey in some places, right? They're legal now? Yep, 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 absolutely. And it is legal in, it is legal in PA now, but it wasn't okay. then. Um, so 
I started out with that, um, and it was sort of a, it was sort of a collaboration of a couple different things. One, um, like how you were saying with you and your co-host when you first started, just natural conversations that you were having. Most of the conversations that I was having were based on sports in general. And when people wanted to talk about sports, I tended to be a go-to wealth of information. Me, in one regard, in MMA, boxing, and combat sports, my brother, who's a co-host of the show, in a completely different regard, um, I don't know many people that know more than he does when it comes to football and basketball. Now, I grew up a basketball player, and for a time, that was all I was. That, that's all I concerned myself with. But um, military, wife, life, injuries—I just stopped. I, I did. I wasn't on it the way I should have been or could have been how I was in the past. But he, he on the other hand, man, I'm telling you, you can call him up with a player. Ask for a year and ask for a stat. He's got it. It's very, it's weirdly Rain Man like the kid. Knows, <laughs> they, I say kid. He's a grown. He's a grown man with a family of his own. But the kid knows his shit more than it more than most people I've ever come across in my life. So I looked at what he was doing. I looked at what I was doing and said, "Man, we really got a thing here." And I don't know what that looks like, but we've got a thing. So then I realized at the time I'm like, "Man, I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. Are there sports betting podcasts? There's not many." There's a, there, I, I'll say a lot, but there's not a lot in the sense that there's conversational podcasts or news podcasts or science podcasts. Right. There's a couple hundred, maybe a thousand tops. Um, I said, okay, so this is a space that's limited. We have, we have something that I think we can bring a value to the table in a limited space. What can we do with this here? I talked to him about it and I said, hey, if this was something I were to get going, do you think maybe you want to hop in on it? And he was like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, you know, so on and so forth. What would it look like? We'll hammer out the logistics. So me, on the other hand, I'm a big ideas guy. I love ideas. That's what I do. Um, you know, if you have if you have a business or something like that, I, I will give you 11 different ideas in two minutes on what you can do with it. So I thought, well, this would be a great space for me to talk about fights because it's what I want to talk about anyway. <clears throat> And right. since I'm having these conversations with friends and family members, anyway, what would it look like if I just created a space where somebody could just plug into my mind or the thought on what I had on the fight anyway without having to have the conversation? Not that I didn't want to talk to them, but that's what I thought. Um, so, like I said, the first couple, uh, I downloaded the Anchor app and just recorded it on my phone and boom, sent it, and that was it. And it just so happened to be... Um, the, what was it, in August when, this last August, I believe it was, when Henry Cejudo upset Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, who was having his 11th title defense of the flyweight belt in the UFC. And Henry Cejudo was a 5-1 to one underdog. Hmm. And I did this very detailed breakdown on why I thought Henry Cejudo would win the fight and how he would win the fight. And then if you play my audio with that coupled with the video... I described it perfectly, and I say that not to toot my horn, but to to say that that sort of was the launch pad that we needed. That people right. were. Like, I remember you saying August was yeah, kind of the, the pe- precipice or whatever. Yeah, pe- is that the word precipice? Pre- precipice. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. People were like, "Oh, oh shit, he might know what he's talking about here." Right. So then it was like there was pressure after that to let's do good on the next event. Like we have to do well on the next event. I did well on the next event. And then the next one, and then the next one, and then as we started to gain numbers, 
college yeah, so football. people making money. Right. College football season was starting up. So I called my brother again. I was like, hey, let's get this going. College football's coming. Nobody knows more than you than this. Let's go. So he's like, all right. So he came on board, and we crushed college football season on top of doing very well on MMA and boxing. Nice. So we built a lot of momentum really quickly with being successful. <clears throat> we hit a little bit of a lull that, you know, it, one of the things that we, we looked at was transparency and integrity. Um, for the longest time, sports handicapping is viewed as a little shady. You know, for a long time, it's called 900 numbers, and a guy will give you a couple picks and this, that, and the other. And that, yeah. It's too shady. Here's the locks. Exactly, right. <laughs> and, and then there's no accountability for it. Right. You know, there's no way to say, hey, I actually did say that. Hey, I didn't say that. But the great thing about a podcast is it builds in accountability. It right. builds it in. You can go back and you can listen to exactly what I said and when I said it or exactly what he said and when he said it and be like, you're full of shit if, you said, if you're saying you didn't say that. We're accountable in everything. All of our numbers are transparent. I've got, I can't hide from it because I say everything. On Saturdays, you log on our Instagram page. All of my picks for the weekend are right there. If I have a losing weekend, it's there for the world to see. Good, bad, and indifferent. And if I had losing weekends, yep. Uh, But if I had way more winning weekends than losing weekends, absolutely. The Vegas standard for a professional handicapper is 65%. We sit at 65 to 67%. Nice. Um, And what I think that, that sets us apart is we do it in the combat sports realm, which nobody touches because it's notoriously difficult. Yeah. So we... We do what other people don't do, and we do it to a standard that's unheard of. So that that's really where it's at. I saw, uh, you know, I, it's basically just a meshing of something that we had talent for, and there was a space for it, and we just connected it together. Um, and we're we're doing well. Obviously, always want to do better, but we're doing very well, and very I'm, nice. I'm I'm happy and I'm thankful for it. Yeah. So so that's your your main niche is MMA. Yes, for sure. Um, I have been entrenched in the fight game, I like to say, since Bloodsport. Um, yeah. I watched Bloodsport as a kid and was obsessed with all things fighting from that moment forward, whether it be actual fighting to studio wrestling to collegiate wrestling to what, whatever it is. If it involves two guys competing against each other in physical combat, there's a good chance that not only do I know who you're talking about, but I can tell you who can win it. Right. Um, yeah. I went back further than that, but yeah. I mean, I was, you know, a huge Kung Fu theater fan. Yeah, and, for and sure. Bruce Lee fan. You Absolutely. Know, I grew up in the 70s. So, yeah. Yeah, I've been in martial arts since I was 15. Right. I love it. Yeah. And that's, that. I mean, that's, that's one of the huge things that we, you know, we went after is just this idea that, you know, what we wanted to do, and I've been saying it more lately, and I wish I was started from the beginning, but we want to make people better betters. Um, and we don't suggest um, that people play everything that we that we play because we play everything that we say. So everything that you hear us say on a show or everything that you see me post online, I actually bet it, yeah. um, which is another thing that going back to the accountability thing. It's one thing for you to call me up or me call you and you say, hey, Dale, here's my lock of the night. I'm, I'm suggesting... Uh, a 10 unit bet on Virginia to, to or Texas Tech to, to beat Virginia. Well, do you feel so confident that you're going to bet your own money on it? I have no idea of knowing that. I hope not. But we say the, <laughs> we say the entire and and you know they should have won last night. By the way, it's a hell of a game. Yeah, it's a hell of a game. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that we did for a while um, 
and we you know we could always go back to it, but people didn't seem to care about it the way we thought they would. Um, we used to post all of our bet slips, so we would bet everything, and then at the at the end of the episode, um, you know, so like episodes would come out on a Tuesday or a Friday, um, and then Saturday morning I'd put all of our actual bet slips up. Right. So, you so you're transparent. Right. But people didn't care about that the way they thought we'd care about it. Yeah. Um, so I just stopped doing it because it was labor intensive to go in and get and make individual like memes or gifts or whatever of each individual bet slip. It's just labor intensive, especially because we're doing like 10, 15 bets a weekend. It's a lot. And then I'm making multiple Instagram posts. Yeah. I mean, I know it's only 30 minutes worth of work, but if you're not going to care about it, then... You know, people didn't seem to appreciate that level of transparency about it because we were just saying it on the show anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't, you know, the point is, is that we bet everything that we say we're going to, we're playing. Right. Um, so we saw that opportunity <clears throat> as well. So we just went after that. But anyway, to go back to what you're, what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, I used to rent UFC VHS tapes at a blockbuster over and over and over again and watch them over and over and over yeah. again. Um, I did too. I mean, that's. Uh, I'm not like I'm not Joe Rogan level encyclopedia when it comes to fights but dude I've I don't want to say I've seen them all damn it I've come pretty freaking close between uh, you know the old Pancras days Pride you know honestly realistically what I'm missing now more than anything else is I have not been able to watch one FC or Ryzen the way I want to Um, and it's just because of the time difference they're going on at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the morning. I just can't be up now with a wife and kids and job watching fights for five hours between midnight and 5am just to see what low level card dude in one FC, you know, what Filipino dudes beating up what Thai dude in, in one FC. I just can't keep track of it. Right. So a lot of it is just re reading other news sources recaps of the fight and then once they get a fight in a promotion that people are going to care about and then i can actually find betting lines on then going back and doing the research yeah so yeah matt i love ufc but yeah originally i mean wec uh yeah. uriah favor yes oh my god yes fantastic yes and then uh showtime xc yeah yeah those are my guys yeah yeah you, and of course, they all got bought out. But uh, UFC is my guy now. But right, those are my two main two. Yeah, no, that that the um, the first um, UFC event I ever attended was UFC on Fuel TV mm-hmm. uh, in Pittsburgh, which the main event was Pat Barry versus Czech Congo, um, which is a great was a great back and forth heavyweight fight. Was not even supposed to be. That fight, the main event got switched a bunch of times. I think the main event was supposed to be Nate Marquardt versus somebody else, but that was right when Nate popped for steroids. But anyway, they put um, Chet Congo and Pat Barry up there together, and Pat Barry had Chet Congo in all types of trouble. He was falling all over the place. It was it's it's one of the highlights they show consistently. And Chet Congo caught Pat Barry with an uppercut while Pat Barry was coming in, and Pat Barry did this weird head back thing and fell. Um, so he was the Chet Congo went from the brink of unconscious to. Pat Barry being completely unconscious and you know it was one of those things where we were like this is the craziest thing ever and what people didn't see is after the cameras cut Pat Barry was in the the octagon for a long time Mm -hmm. it took them a long time to get him out of there Um, 
he was unconscious for it was one of the one of the scarier things I've seen as far as combat sports go. Yeah. Um, it was it was pretty wild. But yeah, that was my it's my first live UFC event. But um, anyway, going back to what you're saying, we got in this space because we do, in my opinion, we do combat sports better than anybody else. Statistically, I think we do do it better than anybody else. I have yet to find anybody that does it better. Um, and football-wise, <clears throat> we are as good as any professional that you're going to pay hundreds of dollars a month to get. Right. And you're number one on iTunes, right? We are number one on iTunes in MMA betting or combat sports betting. Right. Um, if you the way, the way iTunes algorithm works is MMA is such a weird three-letter combination that you get a lot of home podcasts in there as well when you search under mma you get a lot of mama this and and ma'am this and that and the other that mm-hmm. sort of eat those spots up um but under sports and recreation we were you know can't fake the funk we don't we don't rank uh on any sort of measurable that's worth bragging about on sports and rec but if you go to mma betting we are the number one mma betting podcast on on itunes <clears throat> so it's awesome yeah and that's just since august i mean that's that blows me away well, that, you know, again, I've been doing this for a year now, and I'm I'm not even close to your numbers as far as Instagram followers or whatever. Well, what I think it goes down to, or what it, what I think it goes back to, what we were talking about before, is that it's it. I'm number one in a in a very niche market. Um, you know, that's like being um, that's like saying I'm the toughest guy at Thomas Jefferson High School. You're that's just Thomas Thomas Jefferson High School. There's a whole world out there that you're not the toughest guy in. Right. You know, I. It is MMA betting is a very unique thing in that it's it's a landscape that people are just starting to get into. Um, so we're excited about it because people are just starting to get into it because we want to be one of the first ones there. And you, honestly, we eat up a lot of those numbers if we're talking about numbers because we're the only one there or yeah. some of the only ones there. There's only about, as far as I can tell, of people that are measurable or worth measuring. We only have about 100 direct competitors. Okay. In, in that MMA, in the world, in the world or it, nation, uh, well, however, or just podcast. Yeah, I don't know how iTunes. World, I don't know yeah. how iTunes puts that together. So whenever you look up MMA betting, you get a list um, of top, and we sit at the top of that. Okay. So um, you know, however many are pr- producing at that time, I guess maybe might be how they do it. Right. Um, but like you get into a space like Rogan's, and you look under like professional or or talk or whatever the case may be it's thousands yeah. you know what i mean so to to occupy a space in the top 10 15 20 a thousand in that space would be would be unheard of because you're you're in there with heavyweights yeah um we are you know we're we're a medium-sized fish in a small pond right. in the grand scheme of things so um but we are you know for the sake of a number yes we are the number one mma betting podcast in the world. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like you said, 65%, 66% uh, um, wins, right? Yeah. And it, it and, and, and to, to toot my own horn here, that number could be a lot higher, but that's a win percentage based on bets. Now, if somebody is a 10 to 1 underdog, we don't bet that. There's no point in betting that. You can't make it, or a 10 to 1 favorite, rather. There's no point in betting that. You can't make any money on it. There's no point in betting on a Floyd Mayweather fight unless you're betting against him. Yeah. So there's no point in betting on a John Jones fight unless you're betting against him. Fair point. So Yeah, I, I was in Vegas for three years. Yeah. Right. 
It's not a good bet, right? So you avoid. Yeah, you make a, a dollar or right. something, right? Yeah. And that, and that and you know that's 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 the big thing is you just avoid that. So yeah. you're trying to pick upsets, right? We're pick we're hitting sixty five to sixty seven percent on bets that you can make money on. Yeah, make money on. That's the biggest thing is I want people to make money, and then you know one of the things that we do is is that you know I. And it's not a holier than now thing. It's a, it's a. I want people to get good at betting because one, if you take the knowledge that I give you and you make a bet and you win money, I'm directly convinced that that money goes back into your household, or at least I hope it does. Right. And then in doing so, that helps things out on your end, right? Not that this is like a charitable thing, but it helps things out on your end. But the other thing is, is that, you know we have stuff set up and, you know, people, you know, shoot us some money here and there or whatever, but we take that money and we, we, again, try to walk how we talk and we use that money going forward to do other good things for people. Because like we talked about with the mayoral thing, I don't need the podcast money and the podcast doesn't make me so much money that I don't, that I can quit my day job. So it's a it's a side hustle in the sense that like if I were to cut my neighbor's grass and he pays me money to cut his grass, that's how much money I make off a podcast. So I can take that money and go do something good with it. Yeah. Or go just go do something that's not, you know, directly related to um, you know, spoiling myself or treating myself or anything like that. Like we do show sponsorships. Like we have people that advertise on the show, but we don't ask for monetary stuff for the show. If you are a company and you want to advertise on our show, I ask that you send me some of your product or you send somebody else some of your product. Yeah. So they can use it. I cuz I don't you know, it doesn't do it doesn't do me any good, you know? Like if you like a CBD beard oil. I have a beard. Great. But I don't need CBD beard oil. But I do need CBD. So if you're a CBD <laughs> company, send me some. You yeah. know what I mean? That's the kind of thing. But I don't need you to pay me for it. Yeah. Just send me some. Because it's just going to help me out. You know what I mean? So I'm all about just helping other people out with it. You know what I mean? So Yeah. But my biggest part of this podcast is people bring me, you know, beer. Right. Like I have breweries in here. I have highwire come in. They bring me beer. And right. that's my payment. Right. That's fine. That's enough for me. Right. Yeah. And I, I just enjoy the conversation. Right. So, all right. Well, this is the thing. I'm going to get my ass kicked because I was told her I'd be home by six. So you're right. If we put a pin okay. in this, and we can Yeah. Continue. Well, let me ask you one, a couple yeah. questions here. So. Do you think uh, somebody asked me to ask you this? Do you yeah. think MMA will come to South Carolina? Yes, at any uh, time? in June the UFC is coming to Greenville. Really? Yes. Um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson out of Simpsonville, South Carolina, um, wanted to headline that show, but he recently got knocked out by Anthony Pettis and, and Anthony Pettis's welterweight debut. Um, fun fact: If you go to Simpsonville, South Carolina, where if you go to Thompson Mixed Martial Arts, there is a fucking dynamite barbecue place in the same place as Thompson Mixed Martial Arts. Okay. Uh, it's called Henry's. Fantastic. Right. Anyway, uh, Thompson wanted to headline that card, but could not. Um, he could not because he got knocked out, so that is yet to have a headliner announced to it. Henry's uh, Barbecue? Henry's Barbecue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Simpsonville? Yep. Okay. So that's coming June. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. Do you have more questions? Um, I'm just going to go take a leak real quick. Yeah, the only other question I had was, what do you think about um, 
Number one, bare, bare knuckle boxing, which oh, is, has made a resurgence. Hold on, let me. Wait, 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 okay. wait, 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 Okay, so yeah, so yeah, people want to know what do you think about the uh, the bare bare knuckle boxing stuff that's come out, and um, the other thing that I had down here was what do you think about when they stand fighters back up? Ah, gotcha. Because I have a big contention about that because they don't sit people down. You know, you got two different styles. You got people that like to stand up, right? And maybe we should talk about the other one first. But you got people that like to stand up. you got people that like to be on the ground. They have two different strengths. So the people on the ground, they get boring. People start booing. The guy stands them up. Well, when you're standing up, people don't start booing and you sit them down. Right. So you're you're emphasizing one person's strength over another strength. Right. Right? So I think what happens is it's a – and one of the things that I talk about on our show a lot is too is it's a matter of changing perspective on what's happening inside the octagon or inside the cage or inside the ring depending on what promotion you're watching. So if you think about it like this, right, um, if you were to remove the arena – Removed the remove the referee and remove the cage, and you had two individuals that came across each other in a field, and that were to happen, they are literally fighting to see who is going to be alive and who is going to be dead. Right. The only thing that separates that is the controlled environment and the agreed upon rule set and the referee that's there to stop it. So, a perfect example that I like to use is is, Con- is Conor McGregor. Okay. Right. So, Conor McGregor talked all that shit about Jose Aldo before he fought Jose Aldo, right? And if you think about it like this, if those two guys were to meet on the field of battle, Jose Aldo would be dead right now. Because he ran out there, he acted foolish, he got starched unconscious, and Conor McGregor in that position would have been able to take take advantage of his unconscious body, and he would have killed him. Had a referee in that controlled mindset not been there to stop that from happening if that's what he was inclined to do. Right. Okay. On the flip side of that, look at the Conor McGregor Khabib Nurmagomedov fight. If that same thing were happening and that same thing, Conor McGregor would be dead because Khabib wrestled him, wore him out, did not take any damage whatsoever, and then choked him to the point of where he had to verbally say, because that's what a tap is. It's a verbal admission that you will kill me or break something if I don't tell you to stop doing it. Yeah. That's what that is. They don't say it like that because you can't market it like that, but that's what that is. If you're choking me and I can't breathe, me tapping you is going, I acknowledge that you will kill me if I don't say that you win. Yeah. That's what that is. So I've said, and I will, I will, I will, you know, as a person that doesn't wrestle, um, you know, as a person that loves stand-up fighting, wrestling is by far and away the most, the single most important skill that you can have in a fight. Whether it's a street fight, whether it's a controlled environment fight like an MMA or an amateur MMA. It's a good taken down to the ground. No, no, no. Because a wrestler determines where the fight happens. You could be whatever, you pick any stand-up fighter you want in the world. Fucking Jean-Claude Van Damme to Conor McGregor to whoever. If I'm a wrestler and I want you on the ground and I'm a good enough wrestler, guess where this fight's going to take place? It's going to take place on the ground. Right. Which is why you see 
high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys struggle against high-level wrestlers because a wrestler will negate the jiu-jitsu player's ability to create position. Where jiu-jitsu players come into account of where they're very effective is they get a guy that is a good wrestler but not super great at controlling position, or they take a striker and they put him where he's out of position. But you don't think your stand-up guys that that can control the fight as well and not get taken down to the ground? They they can control the fight in the stand-up? Yeah, for sure. Chuck Liddell was a perfect example of that. Chuck Liddell had amazing... Or Kung Lee. I mean, there's been, you know... I'm not saying that those guys don't exist. Frank Shamrock. Yeah. I mean... Steven Thompson's another one. Yeah. If, if, if you can be a stand-up guy and control um, where the fight takes place, you absolutely can. But to go, to go just to answer the question, though, is that how do I feel about guys getting stand, <clears throat> stood up? I think that people need a greater appreciation of what they're seeing. Because um, when you put it in the context of a life-or-death situation... Or this guy is trying his absolute hardest to stand up, and he cannot. Yeah. Now, on the flip side of that, though, I do not think that just because you're able to take me down and I can't get back up, you can't. You shouldn't just be able to just lay on me for 15 fucking minutes and I can't do anything about it. Part of the counter-argument is, well, if you don't like it, stand up. I mean, that's the fight, though, right? Right, that's what I'm saying. So as much as I would love to say that there's a valid argument that there's a fight and you should stand them up, the other argument is if you want up so damn bad, get up. And yeah. if you can't, exactly. that's not my fault. Exactly. And, and that's the point, and I think that's the point this, per, this person was making that asked this question is um, that's the fight. I mean, and I know it's entertainment and they want to entertain the crowd, and the crowd dictates, I think, more than anything. They can't can stood sure. up or whatever, but it's just, yeah. Like you said, that's the fight. I mean, I'm a wrestler. I got you down. Now you're on the ground. You get the fuck up if you want to get up. Yeah. If not, then we're going to stay on the ground. I'm going to lay on you for 15 minutes, right. and I'm going to win because I dominated you right. for the for the, for the the win. But um, Perfect example of this. The perfect example of that is the uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Abel Trujillo. He took Trujillo down 22 times in one fight. Mm-hmm. A UFC record, 22 times in a fight. Took him down. Just repeatedly, every time Abel would stand up, he just threw him back on the ground. That's all he did. For 15 minutes, he just threw him on the ground. Right. Abel got up, looked like he hadn't even been in a fight. Looked like he had a hard workout. was breathing real heavy. But just looked like he'd just been tossed around for 15 minutes. And he was. But it's not it that... What could be supposed to apologize for that? You know what I mean? So I, I personally... Um, the sport, the sportsman in me wants to say every once in a while you should stand him up because a guy, given whatever circumstance or position, is able to hold a guy down and he's trying to survive. The 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 realistic fight part of my you know whatever my lizard brain says that's the fight, bro. You want it bad enough, get up. Right. But here's the contention that this guy was making is, okay, these guys are standing up and they're just circling around each other and they're not uh, they're not engaging, they're not fighting. You know, this right. guy's saying, fight, 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 right. and they're just standing there running right. around the ring. Why don't we sit them down and say, okay, fuck you guys. You're not right. you're not going to stand up and fight. Well, let's put you on the ground and fight. Right. So why is it not the reverse? I mean, why do we only stand people up when they'll sit people down? Right. Does well, that I make think, sense? Yeah, no, I get it. But I, so I think, I, you know, and, and obviously a, a, an MMA ref would be a way better source of information on this as far as why they can or can't do that. And I think it just comes... Because they're both two different strengths. I mean, right. There's a stand-up and there's a ground guy. Right. Well, what I think it would be would be creating a neutral position with both people on the ground. 
So the only way to create a neutral position would almost just have to be both guys sit on their ass Indian style and then have them scramble towards each other or something like that. Yeah. You know, if you're... But, I mean, you stand somebody up, you give the advantage back to the stand-up guy. You, you do, to an extent, but it's also a little bit of the, the wrestler can just take them right back down again, if that's the case. But to, as far as it being a position of advantage or disadvantage, how do you create a neutral position on the ground that both guys are willing to go? So e- even if you look at like high school or collegiate wrestling, you take turns being in dominant position. Right. That's why there's escape points. They don't have escape points in UFC or, or MMA or Bellator or Ryzen or anything like. So the only thing that you, the only thing that's out there right now that gives escape points is if you look at like um, like the Eddie Bravo Invitational Jiu Jitsu tournaments. They do escape uh, or uh, yeah, they do escape points. So you can actually score points for escapes. So it's about the only thing in a <clears throat> combat setting that actually awards points like that, and they will put people in neutral positions. Um, but as far as if you're a wrestler and you take down a striker and the wrestler's not doing much and you stand back up, sure, there's, there is an advantage back to the striker. If you've got the reverse to that where the striker's not doing anything or you have two guys like, um, Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou, right? Two power punchers that were terrified of each other. Neither one of them want to get near one another. You could say, well, put their ass on the ground then because they're not doing anything on the feet. How do you create a neutral position on the ground? You'd have to have them both, like I said, just sit on their ass Indian style or sit back to back or something like that. There's no way to to determine what would be the neutral position with that. So what you have to do is, what we need is, is we need more referees that are willing to take points away. Especially under the new unified rules, you can score rounds however you want, whether it be 9-8, 9-7, 10-8, 10-7, 10-6, however you want to score them, you can score them. So what you need to do is you need to have referees that aren't afraid to take points. So after my third warning of telling you guys to fucking fight, if you don't, then I'm going to start taking points away. That will, will, in a close fight. Whether you're standing or on the ground. Exactly. And you you see this a lot too with guys that grab the cage. How many warnings are you going to give a guy? Oh, yeah, a couple weeks ago, right? Right. Yeah. And here's the thing is that if if you have me up on, up, up, on the, up against the cage and you pick me up and you're going to dump me and I reach up and I grab it, right, and it prevents your takedown, the referee slaps my hand, hey, don't grab the top of the cage. Well, guess what, dude? The position's already been, uh, already been stopped. Yeah. The damage is already done. So it doesn't matter whether you're warning me or not, that single takedown – could have been the difference in this fight but we'll never know because it didn't happen all you did was warn me it should be you touch that fucking top thing at all and it's a point mm-hmm. it's a point because right you know the rules you when know you the came rule. in there you know the rules you signed the papers you knew the rules when you got in there yeah so to go back to that question i think why you don't see stand-up fighters getting sat down and things like that is i i don't know if there's a neutral position to create that maybe there could be um and you know, I think it's a perspective switch. I think if people adopt the perspective of what's happening, if you look at it through a potential life and death situation, you got to leave it how it is. Yeah. I mean, they're doing the best they can with what they got. Right. So, bare knuckle. Great fight this last weekend. Jason Knight took on Artem Lobov, which is one of Conor McGregor's boys. Um, I'll say it like this, man. I think as an adult, um, whether it's fighting consuming narcotics, prostitution, whatever it is. If you're a consenting adult under your own free will, you should be able to do whatever the hell you want to do if somebody wants to pay money for it. Right. 
But do you think, like Joe Rogan thinks, you know, we should get rid of the gloves because you're not going to punch as hard. You're not going to cause as much damage. You're, you're worried about your hands. You know, you, you take those four-ounce gloves off, wow. and um, it's a little less. It's a little less, right? I have broken. I'm not going to hit you as hard if I don't have any fucking gloves on. I'm going to break my hand. I've broken my hand, my right hand, several times. Um, I would... Never, Just like football, you know, we put these agree. giant helmets on. If we take these helmets off, are you going to target somebody with your fucking head? Probably not. You're not, but you're going to have to. The game can't exist in the same capacity, um, and you see alternatives to that. Like there is a professional flag football league. Yeah, there is. Um, but I will say this: Artem Lobov and Jason Knight fought for 25 minutes with no gloves on. They beat the holy shit out of each other. And anybody that doesn't know that can go look up the pictures of it, and there's highlights of it on Instagram. It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Now, the flip side of that, you can look at... Did we out-talk your battery? Yeah, the camera's off. Okay. It's about an hour and 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah. You can look up uh, <laughs> some, some fights that are people, if people are willing to look them up. Um, Gilbert Melendez versus Diego Sanchez. Um, BJ Penn versus Joe Stevenson and... Try to give you another good one. Joe Lozon versus Jim Miller. Those all had gloves on. Right. And they looked like murders. Yeah. Um, sometimes, and this is the argument against boxing, is that sometimes the gloves can prolong the damage. Um, I've been uh, I've been hit in the head and face innumerable amount of times, and that is because the guy that crossed from me was wearing gloves. If he wasn't wearing gloves, I wouldn't have been hit that much. Yeah. But if you are a guy that's willing to subject yourself to that, you could be. Because those guys that did the bare knuckle thing, they still sparred to get ready for it. You know, the only thing that, well, the only thing that was different was they had gloves on and sparring. Um, so they still went out there. They still did all the prep work. They still took all the headshots going into that. The only difference was, was on fight night, what they were getting hit with did a lot more damage. Yeah. As far as visceral physical damage. Now, I don't think that they absorb the same amount of punishment that they would have over a 12-round boxing match. Mm-hmm. But the prep, as far as the proof being in the pudding, they still took the same damage going into it. I think the whether or not it's the, whether or not it's a damage argument is a, is a mute point. Because what we're seeing scientifically, especially as brain studies and scans and CTE technology gets better and better, um, or CTE detection technology gets better and better is that the sparring is where the problems are not yeah. the fight itself yeah. um, and I think in that regard MMA is the safest thing you can as far as getting punched in the face it's a, the safer option it's the safer option um, but even then it's not that safe because depending on what promotion you're fighting in you can get kicked in the face too <laughs> right. and I've 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 been kicked unconscious that, before. That hurts. And yeah. It, it, well, I don't know if it hurt or not. But it, <laughs> fucking, I remember what it was like to wake up from it right. and not know what was going on. And I remember, uh, you know, days after sparring in a gym and going out and throwing up. And you know, it, dude, I, it's nothing to joke around with. You see, a lot of guys have gotten away from sparring. Guys like Robbie Lawler stop sparring. Guys like Donald Cowboy Cerrone, they stop sparring. There's just not a need for it. At a certain point, you reach a level where 
You're not going to gain anything from getting punched in the face recreationally. Save the punches for fight night. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You see a lot of golfers do it with practice swings, right? You and I go golfing. You st- you and I stand behind the ball, and you take 100 fucking practice swings before you hit the ball. And you probably waste 80 good swings in there in the practice, and then you go up there for swing 101, and you hit a shitty shot. Good point. Right? So if you just go up there, get your stance right, and grip it and rip it, you got a better chance of hitting a good shot. Yeah. And when you see a pro, is a pro standing back there taking 50, yeah. you know, Waste practice swings? Right. He's maybe doing two, three, or he's getting a waggle, getting his grip right, and then he steps up and he cracks the ball. If I'm a fighter and I've been fighting for 10 years, five years, three years, whatever right. it is, and I'm comfortable. You've put it in the, the 10,000 uh, licks or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. And I've, yeah. I, yeah. I've hit my, I've, the Malcolm Gladwell, I've hit my 10,000 hours. I feel like I'm good at this. I don't need the random new guy at the gym to crack me in the face to get ready for my upcoming fight. I don't need it anymore. So I think that, I think the damage that we're seeing in fighting is coming in the, in what leads up to the fight, not in the fight itself. As far as bare knuckle boxing goes, those guys, I, I would, you know, I would love and hope that they're in a position where they don't need to do that financially, you know, uh, to make it like a blood sport type style thing. Like, I have to do this in order to feed my family. <clears throat> do I think that's the case for some of these guys? I think it probably is. Sure. Um, but again, they could also, you know, and this isn't to knock people that work at McDonald's, they could also go sign up at McDonald's and work 40, 60 hours a week and make the same amount of money over the course of a month. Yeah. Or somebody can come up to you and say, hey, Brian, you want to go fight this dude? I'll give you five grand cash tonight. Fuck, how do you say no to that? You don't. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You don't. You don't. You, you don't. You don't. <laughs> Maybe not the first time. Maybe the second time you say, no, nah, right. I'm not doing that again. But but, the, but you, you don't. You, you say, all right, yeah, for sure. Because money talks on stuff like that. And you get guys that if you're fighting in bare-knuckle boxing championships or bare-knuckle fighting championships or whatever the case, whatever they're calling themselves this month, it's yeah. because as a fighter, nobody else is offering you money. Right. Because... You know, Bellator signs guys that without, like, you can you can turn on the Paramount Network next weekend and watch a guy that has one professional MMA fight, and right. he's he's fighting on Bellator for twenty five hundred bucks. Right. So if if you can't get a fight with them, you know you're you're going to bare knuckle. You're going to you're going to tough guy competitions, or you look at like the bar school sports thing, the rough and rowdies, where you're getting paid five hundred bucks a fight and stuff like that. But dude, if I got bills to pay. I'll fight somebody in a parking lot tomorrow. Yeah. You know? So you look at these guys that are chasing glory. Jason Knight's got two kids. Got cut from the UFC. Talk. You hear the guy talk. Not bashing on him. Doesn't sound like the smartest dude in the world. If he doesn't want to go out there and swing a hammer or dig holes or put roof on, what the hell else is he going to do? He says, well, shit, I got 10,000 hours worth of experience in something. I can make some fucking money. And these people are going to pay me 15 grand to go out here and get punched in the face and maybe punch this other dude in the face. And if I beat him up, hell, in six months, they might give me another 15 grand. <clears throat> How the hell do you expect a guy to say no to that? Yeah. And th- the promoter knows that. He knows that. Yeah. So he's going to offer it. And, th- and I know that's grim and that's a sad note to end this on, but that's the bare knuckle boxing, why people don't like it. It is, is it, it is as stark a reality as you're going to see when it comes to two guys what they're willing to do for money. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's, that's, that's the nuts and bolts of it, man. That's so, it. But, so here's the last question I'll ask you. Yeah, man. Bellator or UFC? 
What do you prefer? I okay, so I prefer UFC production value wise. I prefer UFC as far as talent goes. I prefer Bellator because it's a free market and the guys can make as much money as they want. Right. If I agree. You, if you are a brand and you are a person and you want to you you under understand your self worth, Bellator is the place to be. I think Bellator is more entertaining, to be honest. It can be. Yeah. It can be. Um, you know, it 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 just depends. Uh, there's a lot of parody in the uh, there's a lot of parody in the talent level, though, which sometimes can be entertaining. It can yeah. be more entertaining. But if I'm a guy and I go and I fight for the UFC, the way the UFC's pay structure is set up, they can say it's your first fight. You'll make ten to show, ten to win. And because it's your first five fights, your Reebok check is twenty five hundred dollars flat, which is what it is. Yeah. So you're making twenty five hundred bucks for me. You're making ten <clears throat> and ten to show up. So it's a potential twelve fifty payday. If you win, it becomes twenty two fifty. After ten percent goes to your team, management, everything else. If you lost, you're probably walking out there without with about seven grand. So, is that worth it when I can go to um, Bellator? Like we have a guy uh, that reached out to us recently. He's a professional fighter in Colorado. He's interested in us sponsoring him. Uh, to get our logo on his shorts on fight night is 250 bucks. Well, his lo- his shorts, and you've seen Bellator shorts, are going to have seven different logos on them. Yeah. If I want to be on his banner behind him and be sizable enough for people to read, we're looking at at least $1,000. If I want his whole fucking banner, I'm going to pay him seven grand. So he can make more off me doing that and then make $250 off of every ancillary sponsor that he can fit on his shorts. And his Bellator check, he can walk out of there with guaranteed twenty. Whereas if UFC, he's walking out of there with seventy five hundred. Yeah. So as far as you being an enterprise and you being a commodity, commodity, and you realizing what you're worth, Bellator all day. More money, but you're not fighting the best in the world. You're not fighting the best in the world, but there's more money involved in it, and you can you can you can control your brand, which is why, as much as I dislike Conor McGregor. I admire the fact that he realized very early on that he is a brand. Yeah. And you will pay me for my brand. Yeah. If you want my name attached to something, you'll pay me for it. And if he never fights another day, I I commend him in what he was able to do in the time he was able to do it, on top of the fact that he says he won't come back unless the UFC gives him shares in the company. Fuck yeah, man. Go for it. Yeah. Shoot your shot. Businessman. Shoot your shot. Because I tell you right now, if he comes back, whatever fight he takes, it's going to do... A million plus pay per view buys. It's going to make them a billion dollars. He's going to get paid a hundred million, and he says, "You know what, dude? I'm worth. If you're making a billion and I'm making one hundred, you should be paying me two fifty or three hundred million. Yeah. Why not? And you can do that by giving me stake. One hundred percent. So I'm all for it. I like Bellator. I like UFC. I follow UFC better or more in the sense that I watch each every each and every fight I can live. Yeah, it's just more on the forefront. It's more on the forefront and there's better accessibility to it. But I do go back and I watch every Bellator fight that I can get my hands on. Yeah. So Because what happens is those Bellator guys that are on the undercard in a year from now, they're going to be fighting on the main card. There's going to be odds for them. And then I want somebody like you or me or somebody that listens to my show in New Jersey or wherever, I want them to be able to make money off of it. Right. Like we called uh, Henry Corrales versus Aaron Pico. Henry Corrales was a plus 345 underdog. But I've been watching Henry Corrales for the last five years and thought if he can get his hands on Aaron Pico, he's going to fucking sleep him. 
And Aaron Pico decided he wanted to stand there and do half Muay Thai clinch, and they were just going to throw right hands at each other until somebody went to sleep. Well, guess what? The first right hand that Henry Corrales landed, Aaron Pico went to sleep. But not watching fights five years prior to that, seeing Henry Corrales do that to people, you're more inclined to go, "Mm, no money to be made on this fight, and you leave. But you listen to our show, you watch that, you walked away that night. If you were $100 better, you walked out of there with $445 in your pocket. Right. Hard to... I, that's the reason why we watch shit like that. Good win. Yeah. So. All right. Dude, well, this was a blast. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. I know you got to get out of here, and I think we should end on uh, what you just said. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot, man. And we, I, I, I you know, I was going to talk to you about it too, but I think we need to do more. Uh, I think we got some more stuff in the, in the pocket too that we can, yeah. we can work on oh, for sure. Oh, 100%. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right, Dale. All right, I appreciate, appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. It was good seeing you. Yeah, you too. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, guys. Long time coming, man. <laughs>